0: What kind of microphone do you have? I know you were gonna give me like a uh, how to improve my audio,
1: some help a while ago, and then we never followed through. What what kind of mic do you have? So I have I I have both of the ones that everyone says are the best mics for this purpose. I have the Heil pr forty that Dan Benjamin and all those people use, and I have the Shure SM seven B. And I I prefer the Shure. I prefer the way my voice sounds with the Shure. The the High LPR forty makes people sound a little bit more nasal and has like weird. It it's like. It's missing, like, the mid-bass, but it has a lot of the lower bass, so you sound, like, really bassy, but but not that present and not that warm with it, with the PR-40. So the SM7B is is a really, really nice-sounding mic, probably the best-sounding mic for this purpose, but has the giant asterisk that it needs a really nice and generally very expensive preamp to power it properly.
0: Yeah, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that's what I use, of course. <laughs> no, I've, I've got the old road podcaster, which is probably, I don't know, I, could, I guess I could do better. You could. I mean, it, it, there's a question on how much it matters. Because your show has guests and that, that rotate out every week, like, you don't want to sound that different from the guests. Now, there have been a lot of episodes of your show where I think you sound worse than the guests, but yeah, that might be sound. because of, like, weird EQ going on or something else going on. You know, that, that might be something else in the process being not that great. Um, yeah. i don't know uh
0: and the other thing is how do you talk into your mic i keep the mic underneath my face like i'm not it, it's sticking straight up and i'm you know it's close to my mouth but i have it where it's underneath my my face it's more or less
1: like at my
0: chin and going down
1: yeah you're doing it wrong <laughs> yeah you're supposed to i'm supposed to be like
0: staring right into it right
1: yeah pretty much like my and and like yeah like so for mine like because i have the the crazy low output sm7b I am, like, my lips are almost touching the pop filter. Sometimes they do touch the pop filter. Uh, I'm, like, right on top of it, talking directly straight on into it. Yeah.
0: See, what happened, I'm asking all these questions because I came in, uh, I spent a big chunk of the holidays not working in my home office. was downstairs, you know, in the dining room, you know, being more of a, you know, part of the family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I came up to record the... uh, Star Wars episode of the show with the uh, Syracuse and guy.
1: Yeah. That was good by uh, the way. I thought I would hate that because it was so long. And I don't care that much about Star Wars, but that was actually really good. I really enjoyed it. I listen Those people. are
0: the the compliments from people who said I don't even like Star Wars, but I like that show. That to me was yeah. that's all that matters. That kid that meant that it came out the way I wanted it to. I came up to my office and the mic my mic arm was on the ground in front of my desk and I thought I knew I didn't put it there, and Amy records her show up here, and I didn't think she'd recorded an episode recently, but I I thought it must have been her. And I was like, why in the world would she disconnect it from the desk and put it on the floor? And I was a little annoyed. And then I looked, and it was the fact that the arm mount had broken. It just, like, just right where you would think, right where the clamp goes on the desk, mm-hmm. just like a stress fracture. Um, which kind of makes sense, because it's, you know supports a fair amount of weight. And I, it's the same arm that I had had ever since I started doing the first run of the show, which I think was like 2007. I don't even know when the when that was. So, But anyway, I had to get a new podcast arm. And uh, of course, I didn't set it up until right when we were supposed to record tonight. <laughs> Naturally. And I'm looking at the instructions and it's like, wow, they're showing me to set this mic up in a very different way than I have ever uh, ever used the microphone.
1: Yeah, no, you're definitely doing it wrong. I mean, certain mics are made to be addressed like on the side, but that's not one of them.
0: Yeah, but I'm not talking into the side. I am talking into the top of it.
1: Well, you're kind of talking like over the top of it like you'd play a flute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: that's, that's no good. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I could try to fix it right now.
0: It seems to me though that if I do it their way, I'm going to it's what I'm going to be seeing. I won't be able to see like my computer or anything.
1: Yeah, you, c- you kind of got to like look through them like through the arm and kind of look, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll put it at an angle or something.
0: Does this sound any better?
1: Um, yeah, you sound a little bit louder, a little bit clearer. I mean, it's not a huge difference, right. but it's a little, a little different. All right, if this,
0: if you see, hear a terrible noise, it means that I've unscrewed this thing.
1: <laughs> I mean, the Rode Podcaster is not an amazing mic. Like, you're not gonna, you're never gonna sound amazing from it. Um, but you, you can sound good enough from it.
0: I can't get the thing screwed on tight. All right, well, shit. This will make for excellent audio. <laughs> what a broadcast! All right, oh, now it's all floppy. <laughs> These things are ridiculous.
1: Also, the Rode boom arm that I assume you're using—I'm also yeah. using one. It's not the best arm. I mean, it, it is—it's pretty shitty. Like, it, it works, but like, like mine, like any slight vibration anywhere, like in the desk or anything, a spring inside the arm rattles. <laughs> <laughs> Which is completely the opposite of the kind of thing it's supposed to do, <laughs> and, and it's just like I've just I haven't ever re- replaced it because like you know it's not broken yet it still works oh, but
0: I even had the thought when I had to re when I had to order one I just went to Amazon and I saw that it said rode and I thought well I've got a rode mic might as well get it yeah um and I, and the old one was a Hyle. is that how you pronounce it
1: yeah oh, well I can't that's, how, I that's how that, other right. people pronounce it I don't know all right
0: um. Uh, and even though, I, like I said, it was seven years old and I sort of don't, I'm not really angry that it broke. I still feel like, well, it broke. I'm not going to buy another Hile, Right. <laughs> uh, so I just bought the Rode. But then I had this, and it was one of those things where I, you know, you, you, it, Amazon makes it so easy. So it's like, that's my thought process. My thought process was not a Hile. Uh, I already have a Rode mic and it looked highly rated on Amazon. And so like two clicks later, it was on its way. And so then with a little bit of thought, I thought, hmm, maybe I should have uh, taken the usual advice and asked Marco.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm using the exact same arm, like the Rode, you know, PS whatever arm. It's their only arm, I think. Um, I'm using the same one, Uh, just because I had the podcaster. Like, I bought the kit for 5x5, and then I upgraded my mic, but never upgraded the boom arm because it still works.
0: The desk Um, clamp does look sturdier than the Heil. Like, the Heil, after having looked at it, it's like, I'm kind of surprised it didn't snap off right away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I don't really know where the road one would break. Like, looking at the construction, like, you know, what I don't know what part of this would be the weak point, but I don't think. I mean, I, I think it's more likely that like one of the springs in the arm would snap and it would lose tension and just drop to the desk. Yeah, I think that yeah, would be that, more likely to fail.
0: Yeah, and that actually was starting to happen with my Hile that it was starting starting to lose some tension, and yeah. I could not. There's no way to like adjust that.
1: Yeah, the road has these weird screws on the on the on the uh, arm. I don't know if those do anything. Yeah. What are these Velcro straps for? Those are for attaching the cable. Like, you, you basically attach the cable to the arm on its way down using those. So that way you can have, like, a nice tidy cable going down to the base of the arm.
0: Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, that's what they're for. All right.
1: Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'll take a picture of my setup so you can see.
0: Quiet there. week for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, nothing's got, nothing's ever going on. It's uh. <laughs> For the record, we are rec- we're recording
0: <laughs> on Thursday the eighth, which is a night after you recorded ATP, where I presume you talked about probably all the same things we're going to talk about tonight. But I couldn't have listened to it yet because I I didn't catch the live broadcast. But people like you, they won't mind hearing you talk about it twice. Yeah, they should be all right. <laughs> <laughs> when did you publish your piece? Sunday.
1: Yeah, it was Sunday night. I, I, part of the problem, I think, was that I, I published it um, on a Sunday night, right before a, or right as a holiday vacation for a lot of people was ending, and there's nothing going on in the news. Right. And so a lot of the places that that picked it up, a lot of people were telling me like, yeah, never published things like at that time because like people are so desperate for news at some of these bigger sites that like you know there's nothing going on in tech on you know on a on a random monday i mean ces was starting but nothing nothing had really been announced of any uh, meaning yet and uh so everyone was <laughs> saying like i couldn't have possibly had worse timing if i didn't want it to be that noticed
0: like if you had published the exact same piece word for word not changed one bit but maybe on wednesday it right. might have it might have you know i think it would have gotten the attention it deserved, but it wouldn't have gotten the attention it didn't deserve. I don't know how I even had to put it.
1: Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, like it. I mean, it, honestly, it didn't deserve the attention it got. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it wasn't good. Like that's the, the the regret I have about it is that it just wasn't very good. Like it was nowhere near my best work. Uh, it was. It was just I didn't put enough effort into it. I made a bunch of little mistakes in it, and it just wasn't very good. And then for that to become extremely widespread and, and uh, to have it be under uh, quite a bit of scrutiny, uh, that is just frustrating.
0: Yeah. So for the record, I mean, I mean it's I'm my sure fault, you know. people listening extemporaneously, like, you know, people who are listening when this episode first comes out will know exactly what we're talking about. But for the record, we should say what it was, which is that on Sunday you published an article titled, headlined, uh, Apple has lost the functional high ground. And I think, if, if I may, a nutshell summary is, I, you've detected that over the last few years, the quality of Apple's software has gotten worse. Correct. Not any one particular thing, just in general. And that it concerns you about the future of the company, and it's the reason you switched to the Mac in the first place a decade ago, is that you were sick of having little stupid things, like little annoying bugs here, or there, everywhere all day long, um, that the, it just works factor is sort of fading from Apple's software platforms.
1: Right. and Fir- and like and a lot of the a, a lot of the pushback, I mean, the reason it spread so quickly, so incredibly quickly, I mean, it, it had hundreds of retweets within a few hours of publishing it, um, and then it spread from there. The, the reason it spread, I think, is because a lot of people agree. Uh, and and a lot of people still argued with it, of course, but I, I think if I was totally wrong, It wouldn't have spread. You know, it's not like I'm publishing this on some major news site where people like you would make fun of me if I got it wrong. Like, I'm publishing this on my personal site. Like, it's not widely read most of the time. And so, you know, I don't think it would have spread if there wasn't some truth there.
0: Yeah, I think the word I used, and I saw a couple of other people use it, I know Hockenberry did too, and I think it's because it's the perfect word that it resonated.
1: Right, or it hit a nerve, one of those.
0: I think resonate is better. Yeah, probably.
1: That's, I don't see, that's why you're the pro writer.
0: So, I, I don't know. There's, to me, <laughs> Resonate uh, is exactly what happened. It's, it's like it, it felt true more so than thought true. It just
1: felt right. Right. And very few people have said, you are completely wrong. Most people have just said, well, I would have said it differently or it isn't as severe as you say. Which, and, so, and that's like you know, what, what I regret when, and you know, where I felt my failing was that I worded some things too severely. And which, of course, is a is a frequent problem I have. But uh, so I, you know, I worded some things too severely, and and that detracted from the uh, validity of what I wrote. But the fact is, I think the the overall sentiment of Apple's software has some quality problems in recent years, and it doesn't seem to be getting better. Uh, that I think is what resonated with people right. pretty unambiguously.
0: Yeah, you do. You you have a sort of it's almost like a no nonsense style like and and i i'll vouch for it you certainly aren't doing it you're you're not sensational you don't you don't overstate things for sensational purposes because you're not looking for hits or page views because you don't even have you know, you, you use the deck. You don't even get paid by page views. You know, like, you don't, you're don't. you not going to get extra this month because you had an explosive story this week that got, you know, a couple hundred thousand extra page views. Doesn't give you a nickel. Right. In so fact,
1: it, it could actually cost me money if I end up going over some bandwidth allocations at my host. So right. the more popular an article is, it, it actually might cost me more money.
0: That, that's funny. It's actually true. Right. Which is the opposite of when, you know, um, you know, when Dan Lyons trumps up something at Valleywag, it's because, you know... The, They measure their success month to month by page views. You're not in that game. You know that's not why. That's not the way that you overstated it. It's just sort of a no nonsense style.
1: Well, but you know, and and you're right that that's what I intended. But because I I did I did use like so like one of the examples like I I originally said quality has taken a nosedive, and that was the wrong word. Really, it hasn't taken a nosedive. It's been a gradual decline. And what I meant really was a decline that's just now in really bad shape. But a nosedive suggests, uh, like, an acceleration of, like, all of a sudden it's now dropping qu- quickly. And that's not really the case. It's, it's more of a gradual progression. But anyway, so, like, you know, there are things like that. Um, and, and, yeah, overall, like, I, I regret having written it simply because it put some of my most mediocre to worst work in front of so many people and put my name on it forever. Whereas, like, I, I, I don't regret having said that Apple has problems. Uh, I just regret that I didn't say it better.
0: Right, and what happened then is that you, it really went explosive. I mean, like oh my you, God. you even said I guess it was your Google Analytics, but whatever. You 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 know you had you were, your analytics showed that it was more popular than anything you had written in all of 2014. Correct. Which is amazing, really. That you know, five days into the year, you've already topped last year. It just got picked up. It got picked up and relinked and relinked and relinked, and. Relinked and I guess Business Insider got it started. Here's their headline: yeah. "Apple's software is in a quote nosedive end quote that is deeply concerning." Longtime Apple supporter says, "That's uh, <laughs> yeah." Arrow and, writing a perfect Business Insider headline,
1: right? And and the thing is, like, usually I could pick on Business Insider and say you guys are such pieces of shit for this because usually they are. In this case, they really the original version had a couple of like uh, of paraphrases in it that were not what I said. Um, that were more inflammatory, but he, he I since complained about them and, and he, he updated them to be more accurate. So over, and the headline, like, I did say that, you know, as I said, I, I didn't really mean to say it that severely, but I did say that. So overall, of, of all the hat jobs they've done to me over the years, this is one of the better ones.
0: Yeah, but it's, I guess it's not, yeah, it's not necessarily that as it stands right now that it's unfair, but it's, you know, fuel to the fire.
1: Right, and and actually, in a lot of people don't realize this. Um, a lot of people have no clue how insanely popular and pervasive Business Insider is. Uh, like, I, whenever whenever I mention on Business Insider any context, I will have everybody who has ever met me, my mom's friends, my my friends' parents, like people who are outside of, of the tech news sphere, they will all contact me and be like oh my god i read this article about you on business insider you know congratulations or like they considered a good thing whenever i'm mentioned there even though it's always trashy <laughs> but um I, like sometimes like one of my products will occasionally get mentioned in some major tech publication like you know MacWorld, uh or occasionally i've even been like in new york times or wall street journal or something like that never a peep from anybody when i'm in business insider for the stupidest smallest thing Everyone in my life comes forward. Oh, my God, I haven't seen you in 15 years, but I read this article about you in Business Insider. That site, like, I don't know why it's so popular, but it is really popular. And so whenever they write anything about me or one of my, one of my products, it gets picked up everywhere. It gets carried everywhere. And they ultimately dictate the narrative. If you look, like, almost every other site that republished this article— was republishing from business insider. A yeah. lot of them were linking back to business insider instead of my site. A lot of them were taking the business insider headlines and quotes word for word. It yeah. really was business insider that that that, that led the the uh, promotion on this whether you willingly or not. I don't know, it doesn't really matter, but right. like people do not realize like your site seeds all the tech sites. Like whenever you write about something, all the tech sites write about it a day later. Business insider seeds everything else. It's yeah. really weird. And and I wish it wasn't that way, but it, it's, it, it it's, really is.
0: It's sort of the opposite of my sort of popularity. Like my <laughs> yeah. popularity is super niche. And so like it is a big deal for some people. Like if I link to somebody, first time I ever link to their blog, a lot of people will like tweet to me like, "Oh my god, you just made my day." And it's I, I that's it, it's hard for me. I I don't I'm still not I can't say I'll ever get used to that, but I understand it. I know. Yeah, I know it's what it's like. I know what it was like the first time uh, that Slashdot linked to Daring Fireball way back in 2002, and it was just crazy. And it's not even that I loved Slashdot, but it's like I knew that, holy shit, that's a big deal.
1: Right. It was like um, getting on the Dig front page back in 2006.
0: Right. I also remember that my site didn't go down, and it was, you know, I thought, you know, I had, up until that point, I had no idea whether, you know, you, there was no way for me to fake it. I couldn't, you know, know if I would survive a Slashdotting. Um. But it, I don't think it, It like, some guy, you know, somebody writes a blog post. I've never linked to them before. I linked to them. They're not going to get their mom calling them and say, hey, I heard, saw a Daring Fireball link to you. Because no. their mom doesn't know who I am either. Unless the mom is really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it would be an exception. It would have to be like, you know, like Brent Simmons where his mom's like a programmer and stuff. Right, uh, right. And I you know I shouldn't even say mom you know mom dad anybody who's not in the thing and is already one of my regular readers whereas business insider has a very for whatever reason has a very broad readership like of typical people.
1: Yeah, like what they write goes very far. Which is really unfortunate cuz it's so bad usually.
0: Yeah, it's something to do with, you know, that they're their certain brand of I don't know, sensationalizing stuff.
1: Well, look, I mean, you know, there there are things in the world that like, there are choices people can make where you can do things like the good, high-quality, morally sound way. Or, oh, you take this one little shortcut here. If you're willing to give up a little bit of integrity here or a little bit of sensationalism here, you can boost your numbers by 15, 20, 30%. And they choose the latter all the time. Like, so, like, whereas you choose the former. Yeah. And that's what we consider in our community to be, like, the, the right way to do it. Yeah. If you're if you're shameless enough, uh, and if if you prioritize numbers and success of the, in that kind over integrity and quality, uh, then you can get insane numbers and insane popularity, and and they have chosen that.
0: Yeah, and let's not overstate things here either. They're they're certainly not the worst. They're they're you know, and the other thing too, they have talented people. And they have had talented people. Dan Fromer used to write there.
1: Yeah, that's where uh, I met him. I used to hate him. And then like he came to the Tumblr offices. I met him there first. And then like he left and became a a normal good person. It was amazing.
0: And I know Jay Jay Yarrow, who wrote this piece on you. I uh, you know, he's good, he's smart, you know. I you could just tell from like reading <laughs> him on something. Twitter. Um uh, Nick Carlson, who I think is his name, the guy who just wrote the published the book on Yahoo, uh and Marissa Meyer, you know, he's a good yep. reporter and
1: uh, He is, I'll give him that, yeah
0: you know and i think it's interesting too i think i think the success he's having promoting his book because it seems i'm reading a lot of stuff about his book it's just popping up a lot of places i think it just goes to show that at business insider they're good at promoting stuff including themselves you know like that's part it's not just that they're whether you're good bad or whatever as a writer or a reporter it, being able to self promote is a skill and that it's to me is part of their a big part of their success
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: you know, and Henry Blodgett's always had that too. Founder of the
1: site, <laughs> among some other issues, but that's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's a definite thing, though. You know, it's like there's there's certain people. You know, like uh, he he's good at getting on TV. You know, and there's that certain type of Wall Street person who is like just goes on CNBC all the time, and I it would drive me nuts. I I would hate going on TV. I would I would don't think I'd want to go on once.
1: I can't imagine uh, like the the amount of stress that would bring. It, I would I would definitely if I was ever invited I would definitely decline.
0: I've had invitations many times and I almost I mean I I went on Charlie Rose that one time and that was cool and it was also pretty easy because it was like five in the afternoon. Getting to New York at five in the afternoon is super easy. I just take like a one o'clock train from Philly and I like going to Manhattan anyway. So that was cool and that was I had a blast and it was well worth you know it wasn't that much of a time commitment. Um, but like I've had offers to go on like Bloomberg TV and it's like, you know, they want me in New York by like 5 a.m. Eastern. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, it's not going to work. And, it, but it really doesn't com- com- compute with them that somebody would not want to be on TV. Like people who are in TV seem to be people who've, whether they're on the air or not like or whether they're just working as like a producer or whatever it seems like the TV industry is only composed of people who've spent their whole lives wanting to be in the TV industry <laughs> and they can't it just doesn't compute it it doesn't they they can't grasp it when i say you know I, I i really don't think i ever want to be on your show thanks for asking i'm flattered but you know being in new york by 5 a.m. <laughs> it's right. not it's not going to work
1: well also like it, it's it's similar to the to the whole like you know you should do this for exposure kind of arguments like yeah, a lot yeah, of that's... times they they don't they can't imagine why anybody would say no to this great honor that they're bestowing upon you and yeah. and the fact is like there's a cost to you being on TV and there's risks to you being on TV and it it just might not be worth it like that's how like you know i'm realizing as i'm as i'm getting older and hopefully wiser but i keep making the same mistakes over and over again so probably not wiser but as i at least get older i'm realizing that like talking to journalists for interviews for stories about you know anything like when they call you for a quote or anything like it is almost never worth uh, agreeing to that because the risk is so high that they're going to distort your words to fit their narrative in a way that you don't approve of that that you can't re- that's totally out of your control and it's like in this day and age like if i have something to say I can say it on my blog. Now, granted, now that it has the other problem, which just happened, which is, like, I better be sure I say it well there, and everything I write there can be taken and quoted elsewhere, but at least I wrote it my way. Like, it, it seems like less of a risk to do it that way than, like, to just be quoted in some random news story, and, and, like, you have no control over that. You you usually, unless you have a very strong relationship with them, usually you can't get, like, review, like quote review or anything, uh... And and if somebody screws up and publishes something that you didn't quite say, there's pretty much nothing you can do about it. You know, that even if even if they publish a correction, the damage is done. Yeah. So it's like and going on TV is probably even worse because like you're live. Like you can't even carefully think about your words for very long. Like you're live. You you need you need to get a comment right now and try to sound smart and it it just uh and everyone's watching, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's also it's not leisurely.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I, I think
0: I, I it's funny. I, I, I was going to say, I think I did pretty well on Charlie Rose, but they've never asked me back, so maybe not.
1: <laughs> I remember, I think I watched it. I, I remember just like, like, you know, I think I immediately forgot about it, so it couldn't have been good or bad, really. I, it was
0: you know. uh, me and David Pogue talking about the iPhone 5, I want to say. Like, I'm going to place it two years ago. Pretty sure it was iPhone 5.
1: Well, you, you probably hilarious. did exactly what you what is like the optimal scenario for a tv appearance like that which is be good but completely forgettable hmm. because we all forgot it and that's that's good because yeah. like it could go a lot worse it can't really go much better and so like that's that's and then and now you can say i've been on the charlie rose show you can tell your parents they can see it like it's all good yeah. so you have all the benefits but but nothing went wrong
0: Sitting in a chair that was warmed by uh, Matt Damon's ass.
1: Is that an honor? I'm not sure. I don't
0: know. It's pretty cool, though, walking into a room <laughs> as he walks out.
1: <laughs> Did you stop uh, by and say, hey, hey I, love, I like your sight, man?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. He, was, he, was, he wanted a t-shirt. I'm sure he's a reader. No. I learned, I learned what to do in that scenario from, uh, from Merlin Mann. It's such great advice that you just have to you have to know this before. Just think about it now before when there's no famous people around. And if you ever meet somebody who's famous, truly famous, and you're going to get a chance to say something, all you, have, all you say is huge fan of your work.
1: Oh, that's good. Merlin's that's so it.
0: good. You just say huge fan of your work and you mean it. You know, don't say it if you don't mean it. Just look at them and say, hey, great to meet a huge, huge fan of your work. And then that's it. You just and then you let him go. You just you maybe, maybe neither. I think with Damon, we never we didn't even stop walking, but it was you know there was a moment I could say something. I just said, "Hey, huge fan of your work," and he goes, "Thanks," and then uh, he left.
1: See, and you had that story too. So it yeah. worked out.
0: All right. Uh, yeah. And anyway, go, what you said is exactly right, though, about talking to reporters, where and it's definitely my experience where almost all of them. Have the story written, whether it's actually written, written or it's just like an outline in their head. Right, they've already got it written, and they will take your quote and make it fit what they've already written nine times out of ten. So I don't talk to reporters anymore either, unless I know them, unless I know either right. know them personally or if I'm familiar with their work and trust them.
1: Yeah, and and you know it's different when you know them personally. You know, and and I, yeah, I'll talk to people I know, but but uh, that's a pretty small list, really.
0: Yeah. Or
1: just, you know, just familiar with their work.
0: But yeah, again, but Joe Joe Schmoe from Bloomberg, no way. Not a just, yeah. Terrible idea.
1: Right. It can only go badly, and it probably right. will. Right. Well, uh, I almost worked there. At Bloomberg? Yeah. When I when I was interviewing for what what became the Tumblr job, that was I was weighing those two offers. I, I had gotten an offer from both. I interviewed at both places and uh I got to choose between Bloomberg and this giant glass building where all the walls inside were glass, and this caused problems because you couldn't see how to exit the conference room you were in. There's <laughs> like, optical illusions everywhere, and they, event- they, they, they told me they had to add this, like, row of, of uh, stickers that were, like, just like the company logo, this row of decals on every wall at that approximately eye level just so you wouldn't, like, run into things, like run into walls. It t- You know, a typical corporate design of, like, it, it looks really cool, it doesn't work at all. And uh, so I, I get to weigh that, of crashing into glass walls and sitting in uh, in a very long table with about four feet of width of the table assigned to me, a uh, little six inch rim around the desk, like not even cubicle walls, like like a, like a six inch rim around my little four foot space, uh, typing on uh, a PC, uh, working on Fortran code. No. Or, yeah, yeah, that was the job. Really? And and everyone I everyone I interviewed with was not that nice, and I thought I bombed the interview. And so like, I got, I got an offer for, for an interview that I thought I bombed from people I don't really want to work with in this terrible environment, like this giant like boiler room kind of environment, just like this little strip of a desk with a Fortran terminal. Or I could go work for this guy who is, looks like he's 15... David Carp, <laughs> and he's working out of some office that I don't quite understand that a bunch of other people are in, but he doesn't work for them. Some There's some arrangement where they're sharing the office or something. Everything is red and colorful, and the office is full of children's toys. And he told me that he'd buy me a Mac, and I could work on a Mac. So I went with that. <laughs> that was literally, <laughs> like, why I went
0: there. <laughs> I can't believe they've still got Fortran code in production. I mean, that was literally a oh, joke. Yeah. on. I think it was this week's Simpsons.
1: No, I actually, I was, I was recently, uh, I, w- I was on a flight recently, sitting next to a guy who works for IBM, and he was, he was a young guy, he was, uh, in his probably mid twenties, um, and he, so, but he worked on in IBM's mainframe division, which is still running, and there's like, you know, big banks and insurance companies and things like, they still use IBM mainframes, and he writes all in Fortran or no, I think it was COBOL, one of those two, he like that's what he does all day, is write low level mainframe operating system code in COBOL or Fortran.
0: Man, that's crazy.
1: In this and he's I mean, he wasn't even born when this thing was was originally written. I feel bad cuz there's probably people who listen to the show who have a job like that. Oh, I'm I sure don't make it's, make it's fun. more I common just, than you think. That's that's, not, that's the I, crazy part.
0: Yeah, I don't really want to make fun. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just sort of stunned that there's that much um, uh, what would you call it? Like inertia. Yeah, with programming languages that they just once they get any kind of mass success they just never die.
1: Well, in a system like that, I mean, if you think about it, like from from like a, a programmer out of college viewpoint, and you think, why are you using Fortran for your bank's large systems? That you're stupid. That that's dumb. I want to rewrite this whole thing in Node or whatever. <laughs> and then you know, but the reality is, like, the wise programmer would look at that and be like, all right, this bank's massive financial back end that has been running fine for the most part for like 30 years is written in some crazy language. Do I want the job of rewriting it from scratch? Hell no. Like that's, that is that has red flags all over it. You do not want that kind of responsibility. Get out of there. Like, I don't know any, I don't know any wise programmers who would take that job.
0: Yeah. It's it's instead of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't (laughs) broke, don't rewrite it.
1: And certainly don't touch it when there's like massive amounts of money at stake.
0: Right. Crazy. Uh, Let's take a break. I'll do the first sponsor, and it is our good friends at Fracture. You guys remember Fracture. Um, You send them your photos, and they send them back to you printed directly on glass. Uh, Not paper with a piece of glass in front of it on the frame. The picture is printed right on the glass. I've never seen anything else like it. Uh, You really do kind of have to see it to believe it. It really makes it seem as though it's right there on the surface. I always compare it to like when the iPhone switched to the laminated displays, putting the pixels closer to the glass. Uh, It's exactly that sort of effect, but with an analog print of your photos. They have all sorts of sizes to choose from. Uh, The square ones that Marco has made famous for printing your app icons for every time he sells an app to somebody, he uh, makes a, a copy looks really nice. I've been in Marco's office. They look great on the wall, uh, two really, really big ones, you know, big rectangular ones. Um, they ship in these amazing containers that double as like the frame that you can use to hang on the wall or to put on your desk, uh, propped up right there in this nifty cardboard shipping container. You don't have to buy an extra frame to put the thing in. You can mount them directly on the wall, just as the glass. They look really cool. Um, So there's nothing else to buy. It's not like when you get printouts and then you have to go put them in a frame and you have to take the frame apart. And then it's easy. So easy. You just send them your pictures. They send you back printouts of them on glass. Um, Where do you go to find out more? Go to their website, uh, Fracture. I think it's FractureMe.com.
1: That's correct.
0: Uh, And there's a new coupon code. Use this code, DaringFireball, all one word. And you will save 15% on whatever you order. So that's great. Their prices are already fantastic. Save 15% though. Use that code daringfireball. And go to fractureme.com and uh, see for yourself. Great sponsor. Really, really recommend them.
1: Yeah, I'm looking right at uh, five Fracture prints in my office right now.
0: Oh, my God. they're all We, we have them all over the place. And it's a great gift idea too. Um. So I don't know, the media backlash, not backlash, over 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 representation of your thing is kind of interesting and it's sad and depressing, but I feel like the better topic is to actually talk about some of the problems Apple software has. Yeah. Cuz one sure. of the things I got uh is it definitely because it 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 hits such a mainstream media thing. I mean, people within Apple definitely noticed and I heard a, from a couple friends at Apple, not like PR, not like Apple PR reaching out and telling me, you know, trying to spin it or anything, just, you know, like engineers. And some of them, I, I it was really interesting what they said. All of them said different things. But like one of them was pretty surprised and more or less of, do you really think that? Because, I, you know, I, you know, this is the friend at Apple's more or less paraphrase that, you know, I think that we've been doing pretty good. It seems to me like, you know, the bug, you know, the open bugs in radar are, are lower than they used to be years ago. Do you really think that? And I said, I have to say there is something to it, though. It seems to me like there's more annoyances than there used to be. But there were definitely some people yeah. with an Apple who who disagreed. And then there were some who did agree. Um, but I'm curious, I'm curious specifically, like, because that's one thing your article didn't have, is it didn't really have, like, a list of here's some of the bugs.
1: Right, and and that was, I, that was ultimately a failing. Um, I wasn't really talking about like here's five things that are that are the problems today. Um, I was really talking about the general trend, and so it's hard to give a comprehensive list of examples because many of these things are like little annoyances or little you know occasional failures or occasional bugs. Um, I heard from from uh from a few different engineers, and 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 I read a couple of Reddit comments. Um, from people who are who are allegedly with Apple and stuff, and and it it seems to be a, a few people thought that everything's fine, but most of the people uh, seem to think that that yeah, like finally, thank you for saying this, um, like that kind of attitude, like yes, this is a, like no one listens, that kind of that kind of thing, and it's hard to get a read on what the truth is, or even if these people are the real people, you know, who actually work at Apple. Who knows? Uh, it could have just been some random person on the internet. But I think there's – like, your comment about, like, you know, the number of radars, like, Apple could be measuring things that don't reflect the the overall usage of, you know, annoyances and bugs that actually hit people in real life. Um, they could just be measuring the wrong things or the things they're measuring aren't changing. And so, for instance, um, they have the built-in Crash Reporter in, in every recent version of every OS – uh, that you can, say, automatically send diagnostics to Apple when, when stuff breaks. Uh, but that only will send a report if a crash happened. Like, if you hit a bug that wasn't a crash, the, that that's not going to include that. Hmm. And most of the bugs I see recently aren't crashes. Like, I'm not getting kernel panics on my computers, you know, or, you know, back when I was, that was, that was the fault of some I.O. driver, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and that's uh, one of the
0: things I heard from one of the people who just was sort of not not really believing in that. It was that specifically that crashes are down, you know, and that's something that they they can measure because they have the crash reporter, and that it just made made him surprised that this was a thing, and and it really was it was not like um, a defensive take. It's like typical Apple person, very thoughtful, um, really really genuinely curious because he found it surprising. Really wanted to know, and, and also absolutely believed in the sort of, hey, when there's smoke, there's fire. You know, clearly this Marco's post resonated with a lot of people, so I I, I want to get to the bottom of, you know, what this is. But crashes definitely aren't it. Exactly.
1: And like, like earlier tonight, um, one of the many annoyances when using an Apple TV, um, you know, I, I turn on the Apple TV after it being asleep for most of the day, and it shows three prompts in a row that say your Apple TV is not connected to the internet. Like you hit menu and it just shows you another one. And like, so there's three of those that were queued up. So those aren't being coalesced. And, and then I go back to the home screen and it is connected to the internet and right. showing new stuff. So they at were which out point, of date and weren't canceled.
0: Right. At which point those things should have been disregard it anyway, never right. mind it, right? File under never mind.
1: Right. Why were they even showing when it was asleep and nobody was trying to do anything with it? Good question right. there, too. Um, so those are all quality issues, right? Not crashes. They're not going to show up in any bug reports because I'm not going to report it. Look, I'm talking with you. I, I'm i not going to report that on radar. Like, it's not worth the time to even type it up and go through the, all the forms. Um, then I, I hit menu a couple times to get out of the, the like deep hierarchy of the movie structure I was in to get back to the home screen. I know you can just hold it down, but I didn't. Uh, the first time I hit it, it went boop and it did it did its thing, and then the second time I hit it, it just went boop 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 and I kept hitting it and nothing was happening. And all the clicks just queued up and queued up and queued up and nothing happened. And I'm like, "All right, do I do I reset it? Do I reset? and then like 30 seconds later, it executes all of them like because they had all queued up. So everything's mm. moving around like crazy. I'm like, "No, no, no. no. <laughs> That's not what I wanted." Um again, another bug. Uh, two nights ago, I had to actually unplug it and plug it back in to get it to respond to any remote commands. Um, I tried two different remotes. We have multiple Apple TVs in the house. They both have similar bugs, so I know it's not just one of them being like dying or flaky. Um, and I know, I mean, certainly Merlin has talked a lot about his Apple TV issues, too. There's issues with authenticating content. Um, he's, like
0: the, he's like the Jeffrey Zeldman of Apple TV. You know, like the way like that everything. Zeldman... zeldman just has the worst murphy's law luck with anything (laughs) technology like like merlin clearly has has caught like the apple tv branch of that that syndrome
1: right exactly and like like, i don't think that's uncommon you know and like you know i so often like we'll we'll go to watch a movie and it'll sit there on authorizing forever and then eventually fail and it's really like come on i bought this these are movies we bought my kid is like sitting down he wants to watch something if it doesn't show him in a minute. He's gonna start getting antsy and possibly scream. Like, come on, just, just come on, work. That's all. Like, and this is just the Apple TV, right? And 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 AirPlay to the Apple TV works about a quarter of the time.
0: And it doesn't work. I can vouch for the fact that it doesn't work with a two or three year old to try to explain how <laughs> in the old in the old days we'd have to get in the car and drive to Blockbuster and the disc might be scratched.
1: Right. Yeah. It exactly. Does, yeah.
0: It, kids. Yeah. Kids don't want to hear it. Kids expect the thing that they see on the screen to play when you punch the button.
1: Exactly. So and so, this is just Apple TV. This is just like one week's worth of just like what I can recall. Not not even one week. What I can recall over the last two days. This is like this is what goes on with the Apple TV. And that's not even not even including various like you know like infinite timeouts and and failures with Netflix. Which I, I'll give Apple the benefit of the doubt and assume that's Netflix's problem. Um, but you know, even, but like with Apple stuff, authorizing the Apple purchase stuff, even that, you know, that has all those problems. So that's just one product, right? And, and it's an AirPlay. And I, I hear from everybody that AirPlay doesn't work well for them. AirPlay yeah. works fine for me if I'm going to a, an airport express that I have connected to a speaker in my kitchen. It works fine for that. It fails every time for Apple TV uh, or <laughs> no, sorry. It fails 75% of the time for Apple TV. <laughs> like I'll do it a couple times. Eventually it will take.
0: Airplay is on my list and it's high on the list because, and I, I, in terms of like Canary in the Coal Mine, because it used to be rock solid for me. And my typical Airplay scenario is almost always is either from my phone or from an iPad to Apple TV. Uh, A a good example of it is we didn't have uh, Amazon Instant Video on TV until. We got a new TiVo sometime, I think, in the last year, and it has Amazon built in. Because Amazon, I I don't know why, but they don't have an uh, app on Apple TV, whether it's politics or or what. But if you wanted to watch something... Oh, um, it's definitely politics. Yeah, I'm guessing it's politics. Why do you think they're advertising
1: watches so heavily to every man who visits the site? (laughs) Are they really? Yeah. Ask, ask Ask any man who visited Amazon recently, like, what's on the front page, and it's the bottom row like like the 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 bottom of the first uh screen on amazon.com's front page is all top men's watches i have never viewed a link to a watch on amazon i've never searched for a watch on amazon i have done nothing that would influence that recommendation and it's it's heavily promoting watches and i've heard i, I tweeted about it a couple of weeks ago and a bunch of other guys were like yeah me too they showed screenshots like of all like yeah. they're so heavily pushing watches right now it's like oh, come on obviously this is about politics
0: mine is uh Literally men's blue dial luxury watches. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm gonna send you the link right now. Right.
1: And have you ever looked at a watch on Amazon?
0: Uh, see, that's the thing. That's you why might, I, you might have. All right. Yeah, because I I don't own. I only own two watches, but I love. I've always loved watches, but it's like I only buy them if I think they're absolutely perfect, which is why I've only got two. Um, but I look at watches all the time. I don't, And I don't really look for them on Amazon because Amazon, I, I don't think it's the type of place where I would buy a watch. Although, I did buy, actually, I did buy one there years ago. I bought my uh, my Citizen there. But uh, no, I didn't. Actually, I did the right thing with the Citizen where I found it on Amazon, but I wanted to see it in person. And I went to a jewelry store here in Philadelphia so I could see it. And it was $15 more expensive in the jewelry store. And I thought, well, this is exactly what I should do. I'm going to buy it right here because I I'm so glad there's a jewelry store here where I could see it, you know, I wanted to give him 15 more dollars. Wow. You reversed showroom.
1: That's great. Right.
0: I know that that's and I thought, you know what? I'm like the, I'm not like the 1% like top financial people. I'm the 1%, you know, who shops thinking like that. Like <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> the Amazon 1%. Yeah.
0: Uh, it reminds me, there was a New Yorker a couple of weeks ago, we on the cover. There was a woman answering her door to take, an Amazon box from UPS that was clearly like the size of the ones that they ship the books in looking awkwardly at her neighbor who runs a little neighborhood bookstore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh,
0: But anyway, I do have men's blue dial luxury watches right on the front page of my Amazon. Right. So anyway, anyway, so Apple TV. So I had to, I, until we had the TiVo, I had to airplay Amazon to the Apple TV and it always worked. It just worked. It was great. And a couple of days ago, I wanted to watch uh, Alpha House, which is a cool, a really fun show I like on Amazon. Uh, and I was too lazy to switch the TV from Apple TV where I already was to. TiVo and the TiVo is such a pain in the ass anyway. So I tried using AirPlay problems. and and it I just got like a spinner and it just spun and, spun and spun and spun and spun and spun and eventually I just did have to switch to the TiVo and use the Amazon app there.
1: Yeah, that that but spinner I, should be the Apple TV logo. It used to print work, one on though. the front.
0: For me, it used to work very, very, very consistently. Where any Any video that wasn't, you know, I I think there's a flag you can set to say, don't, you can't airplay, but almost nobody said it back then. Almost any video that I could watch on iPhone or iPad, I could switch, I could just flick it continuity style to the Apple TV in, I don't know how many seconds, but a few enough seconds that it felt like magic every time. And now it's really, really a crapshoot.
1: Exactly. And and yeah, I mean I've owned every generation of Apple TV. And I we use them constantly because we don't have cable. Like that's the Apple T V is our primary video player. Uh, we are like we the only media playback we have in our house is Apple T V and a PS3 for Blu-ray discs. That's it. Yeah. And so we use them heavily. And it's it, it has it has definitely been a noticeable decline. Like the they were they didn't used to be this bad. And so again, we can sit here all night and point out things about the Apple TV. I mean, like it's and which is I mean this is probably as interesting as hearing somebody's like terrible airline story or their or their dream from last night, you know. So I don't want to bore the audience with with all the different little nitpicks of like how my stuff has failed. But you can look at a lot of their products recently and see a lot of stories like this uh from everybody. Uh Glenn Fleischman solicited things on Twitter and had a really good post like kind of summarizing like here's what everyone's complaining about.
0: Oh, did he? Um, I didn't see that. Where did he post that?
1: Uh on on com, okay. And uh I think yeah. Check anyway. Uh, you can sort through his tweets for the last two days to try to find the link if, if you're brave. Uh, my
0: Twitter client doesn't go back that far. It carry <laughs> t- two days so, of Glenn <laughs> Fleischman tweets.
1: So I don't know what
0: I don't know what client, know what client <laughs> you use. I think you'd need like a special API. I don't even think the Twitter API could handle. It. Anyway, no, it, it is on the front. It is on the front page of his blog, and I will put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah. So do that, and then so so that that's part of it. Like, and I've I've had issues with um, with Yosemite. Uh, similar to like I I know Nevin Mergen was talking uh, on Twitter a couple of a uh, couple of weeks back about how, like he showed a screenshot of how many copies of his computer there were in the in the Finder source list of like the network share area of, of the Finder the Finder left pane and it mm. was like you know Nevin Mergen's laptop two three four five six and, like this giant list of like all these different copies like I've had a lot of issues with that of like things like losing my original computer's name showing up as parentheses two or certain computers just disappearing off my network. Like, we have three computers on our home network here and one printer and, and, and a, uh, a NAS box in the closet for network share stuff. And at any given time, I can usually only see between zero and two of them. Uh, and, like it, and it just, like, usually you have to reboot not the one that's browsing, but you have to reboot the one that's not showing up. I haven't it's read Glenn's article yet
0: obviously since I was unaware of it but I uh, can't wait to but uh, I don't know if his, if his summary goes like this but yours does so far and a couple that I have jotted down all fit in the category of things that don't even have error they're not crashers and they don't have error messages exactly. although you they're, they're just silent failures
1: exactly uh, and, 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 even, so and, and there are more... some crashers um, but usually like most people aren't hitting them most of the time I think like you know like there there are like Crashers, are, they're a bigger problem on iOS, I think. Um, it, you know, And iOS 7, I think, was worse than iOS 8 in regards to crashes. But, so for instance, on iOS 8, um, Overcast crashes more than it did on iOS 7 in a few key areas. And, and I don't know if it's my fault or not, but I've heard from a lot of other developers, too. One developer even posted stats. Their app still runs on both, and they posted stats like percentage of installs that have crashed on 7 versus 8, and the percentage on 8 was five times higher. Huh. and like and and like, and I've had crashes like deeply deep in system frameworks, like image i, I have crashes, mm-hmm. like decoding jpegs for show art that crashes a lot, and I always say it never happened on seven it, stuff like that like it, it and you know the the background downloading system occasionally has crashes. the audio subsystem will crash, and everyone will blame me for it there's there's so many like subsystem or api like low level failures or crashes that happen just rarely enough that it's really hard to ever track it down, but frequently enough that if you have a crash logger in your app, you're going to see a lot of reports for yeah. it.
0: Um, another one for me, and I tweeted about this, and I actually got somebody from Apple reached out, and they said they're going to look into it. And But for me, it's the, the keyboard shortcuts. Not 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 command keys, but like when you have uh, T-E-H go to T-E.
1: Oh, like the, the Texas Panda ripoff? Yeah. Well, I think that yeah, all
0: right, yeah, the text expander. Well, okay,
1: the the feature is similar to text, text expander. Go ahead.
0: I think they did. I think that's a perfect example, though, of them adding a feature to the system in an appropriate way, where it still leaves text expander plenty of room. Oh yeah, because right? yeah. they just do you you type this, you get that. Whereas text expander has all of the interactive stuff, where you can have you know. You have know, like
1: uh, forms almost the for text. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or like I've got the text expander ones to put the date in certain formats. So right. I just right. type, you know, type my key, you know, my little shortcut and I get today's date right the way I like it. You can't do that, you know, dynamic ones, variables. Right. right. Anyway. Um, but they, they used to sync between devices and then they stopped syncing. And they stopped syncing when I switched to the iCloud. Uh, documents in the cloud beta the or drive it, iCloud drive, drive yeah. beta which i had to do over summer. Well, i didn't have to but i did over summer because i was beta testing some stuff that you know i wanted to use it and try it and so the fact that it stopped working then i understood because maybe they were using you know and they warn you hey when you switch you can't go back you know you're always on it and so i thought oh so that's interesting they must have been using the old storage apis for these keyboard shortcuts and that's how they did it but now, you know, here it was like two months after everything had come out of beta, you know, uh, I was running a new phone running iOS nine, I was running a new, uh, it just just to make it even more likely that it should work a brand new uh, retina MacBook Pro running the non beta, you know, version of Yosemite. And it's they still weren't syncing, none of nothing was syncing, none of the most shortcuts were syncing. Uh, and then, and this, is, this to me emblemizes the sort of thing I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, is, is the modern Apple unsteady software. They did start syncing, but not all of them. Ooh. And now, now, like on my phone and on my Mac, almost all of them are the same. And I definitely never once, because I wanted to see what would happen, I never once like said, okay, just take 10 minutes and reproduce them in both places so you have them all. I just waited. And they're mostly there. But there's one uh, in particular. It's sort of like a game of Where's Waldo, like scrolling the two lists, trying to find the ones that are missing. And it's even made more difficult because they sort in a different order um, in terms of the way ones... <laughs> That's that terrible. The way that ones... Like regular... If it's just alphabetical characters, they sort alphabetically. But the... Mac puts the ones with punctu- leading punctuation at the top, and the iPhone puts ones with leading punctuation at the bottom. Uh, so it's a little hard to compare that. Again,
1: none of this is, is a reportable bug. like Or rather, none, none of this will report itself to Apple.
0: Yeah. And it, it's so hard. But I know, for example, I have a custom one. Because you can use it to add custom words. And it's not even like an expansion. But I use the word navbar as all one word, N-A-V-B-A-R. Um, all the time when I'm talking with Dave Wiskus about Vesper, uh, it's just I I call the thing at the top the nav bar, um, and it's always always on the iPhone. Like when I be i messaging him, auto correcting it into who knows what, you know, it's just random guesses from the dictionary that were close. So I put it in my thing, and it's on my phone, which is the place where I need it. But it's not on my Mac. Whereas like the other, I don't know, there's like maybe thirty of them seem mostly in sync crazy like i don't and there's never an error message there's never any an error on any device that says hey you've got a problem with your keyboard's shortcut syncing turn it off turn it back on again or nothing no errors i just don't have some of them on both devices
1: yeah it's even worse with this cloud stuff because you have so little insight as to what the problem is if there's even a problem or how to fix a problem that once it happens Uh, like and so like you know if you if you look at if you look at apple's um you know crash rate history you know let's say somebody inside apple is looking at like well you know we we have the same rate of crashes now that we did five years ago whatever you know whatever it is um i think you have to also consider that now we are doing a lot more with our devices and our computers we have more devices and computers interacting with each other per person especially around in these crowds and the, the the cloud services are this other factor, and so like I I, just, I said this on ATP, so I won't go too far into it here. But you know, if let's say you have like a like a one percent bug rate for like you know when you're using this app or this service of the OS, one percent of the time it won't work right. Obviously, this is made up, but bear with me. Um, if then you you consider the interaction of two different apps or services that have the same rate, it's two percent. If you consider it again, it's not three. If you consider a third one, it's not three percent. It's four percent because these things don't add; they multiply. Because every as you add more possible ways of interaction between applications, services, cloud services, devices, all those failure rates—the chances that any one thing is going to go wrong somehow—is the the multiple, the the product of all of those factors, not the sum. So this grows geometrically. And so as you make things more complicated, as our devices can do more, as we have more devices interacting with each other and also interacting with the cloud services, all of these error factors are all multiplied. And so you have to, you can't just keep quality the same as it used to be. Like, you know, like the quality rate per service or per app. It has to actually get better over time to keep the same overall error rate from happening to somebody.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I'm not accusing anybody at Apple of incompetence, because I don't think any of these bugs are, like, universal. It's not like nobody oh, no. can play AirPlay. I'm
1: sure. And in I've fact, written worse bugs today. I mean, like, I <laughs> I, I, would, I fixed a really embarrassing bug two hours ago in Overcast. Like, really embarrassing.
0: I would bet good. I mean, that's how real bugs are. Real bugs are edge cases, to some degree. Maybe it's a big edge, but it's, you know, something you didn't think of <laughs> most of the time. This is a big edge. um I'm thinking most of the time, I'm thinking if you go to an Apple store and buy a new Apple TV and you pick up a new iPhone or iPad and you set them up and create a brand new iCloud account and go to use AirPlay, it'll just work. It'll. I'm, I'll bet 99 times out of 100 that will just work. There's no bug that's keeping most people from doing it, but there's clearly some bugs that... You know, and who knows? It might be like a hundred different bugs, you know, that result in the same thing, and they're all, you know, just one tenth of one percent of people have taken that path. But then, it in the aggregate, it winds up where there's a lot of people who are having trouble trouble with stuff like this.
1: Exactly, and and again, like so many of these things are hard to report or too minor to report individual problems like through the bug reporter system. Yeah. I mean, and and the bug reporter system too is is. About as hostile as it can be. Uh, they like if if you go to actually report a bug on Apple's Bug Reporter, um, you will be greeted first of all. Is it still iOS six themed? <laughs> I think it is, right? Yeah. So you Which you'll was be greeted... a
0: big improvement over the Aqua theme it used to have. Well, they they gave
1: to... <laughs> it the iOS six theme like three days before iOS seven was unveiled. Remember <laughs> they, that?
0: It had, but it had like a ten point oh. <laughs> I you know. know, like like when uh, it was bad. <laughs> When Aqua was really stripey, <laughs> it had the big the pinstripes, horizontal pinstripes for yeah. a long time, and yeah, they they updated it to like an iOS six look right right before iOS seven came out. It was no, like not, it was
1: like days or weeks before. It was yeah. hilarious. Like it was like obviously these two groups weren't talking to each other about that. And it, oh, anyway, uh, so you're greeted with this, you know this this pretty terrible web app first of all, um, and then it, and it asks you for like seventeen different fields, and then you fill your stuff out. And then you submit it, and they say, all right, thanks, we'll look into it, here's a number. And in most cases of bugs I've filed, i filed maybe, I don't know, 50 bugs so far in my life uh, with Apple. In almost every case, you will never hear about it again. They won't even tell you if it's a duplicate, they won't even tell you if it's closed, it'll sit there open forever. Sometimes they will tell you after like three months, this is a known bug, it's a duplicate of this other bug ID, thank you. But then you lose all visibility. Then you can't tell when that other bug ID is closed. Like you just, they just basically close your bug saying, all right, thanks.
0: (laughs) All right. I just logged into my radar account. And here's one that I filed on the 20th of March, 2009. (laughs) State, open, rank, no value. And it's, here's what I said I said, when you control, it said product, Safari. When you control click, right click, on a background tab in safari 4 you get a menu with options for things like creating a new tab closing the tab reloading the tab and so forth it would be nice if there were an option to copy the url for that tab that way you could copy the url for a background tab in a background window without either activating that window or that particular tab i think it's a reasonable request
1: right still i'm not saying it's
0: great but it's the fact that it's just their green <laughs> open
1: yep <laughs> like still waiting for a response from apple and, and that's yeah. and it's this is this is not uncommon I, this, this I, is the common case i'm not mad that they haven't uh
0: done it actually let me see no nope, you still can't copy a tab Nope, it's the same option, for I listed. <laughs> so I'm not mad that they haven't taken my suggestion and done something. But that's what for everybody at Apple always tells me, that's what I should do with an idea like that. It's file a radar. Right. Right? But the fact that it's open, like, I wouldn't mind if they just said closed. No, we don't, think that, we don't think copy belongs in that menu. Okay. You know, thanks for considering the idea. It's the fact that it looks to me as though nobody ever looked at it.
1: Right, and Which, they probably never will until at some point some intern is tasked with going through that list, and they just like bulk close them all, or send like a like a form letter to to all of them saying, "All right, you know, is this still a problem? Please provide a sample project to illustrate the problem." Yeah. And then if you don't, this will automatically close in a day. Like that's like that's the kind of of thing you get. I mean, uh, it's it's just. I mean, look, see, I have uh, so my oldest the... is twenty eleven. I mean, I, 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 got, I have four bugs here in one of my accounts, 2011, 2011, 2013, all green, no responses. I mean, so this, this is the problem I have with, with, with you know, the typical Apple answer is, well, please, you have to file a bug for any bugs you find or any feature requests you have or etc. If you're going to say that, if that's going to be your default response, this system has to be better. This system has to, it has to be less hostile and it has to somehow give some kind of satisfactory result even if it's as simple as after like a week you say you know thanks we took it into we're taking this into consideration or or we're gonna we'll have somebody look at this and then close it like some kind of something that indicates to the person who filed the bug that it was worth their time to have filed it and that's the problem right now you don't have that and so there's no incentive for individuals to file bugs if you think anyone else will have ever filed the same bug, well, there's that the
0: adage that insanity is doing the same thing over. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, and and expecting different results. And yeah. it's you know that's there's it's a you know that makes a lot of sense. It's actually true. That's to me, it seems almost insane to keep filing radars when you ex- expecting them to de- be dealt with. When your experience is this is just a waste of my time.
1: Exactly, and I've had so many people who work at Apple tell me, "Please file radars. They really do matter. They really do help. Please keep filing them." Yeah. And 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 they all say too, like they all say that they get a a surprisingly low number of radars filed for you know like like you would expect certain things to have a lot, and they say you know certain feature requests or major feature requests will have like seven radars ever filed on them or something. Yeah. But the problem is like you know they're they're yelling at us saying, "Please file bugs." Their their actions don't back that up. Like the, yeah. what we see on the outside is extremely hostile and and demotivating.
0: Yeah, I want hold that thought because I want to come back to that. But it's yeah. I want to come back to it with a big section. But I'll do a break. But before I take the break, I just wanted to say another thing too was that your article, the one of the things that had me nodding my head with your article as sort of yeah, like now I kind of feel like one of them being like a Windows user is. Uh, so we've got a laser printer here and it's an H P and I'm pretty happy with the quality and it does Wi Fi and yeah, you bought the it, same
1: one I did, right? Uh maybe I do.
0: It's the CP one five two five NW.
1: Yeah, it's one of the HP's wonderful. Yeah, you uh, you asked me what to buy, and I told you, but to get that one. Yeah.
0: yeah, I did. I did. I did take my usual. Uh, just yeah. ask Marco.
1: Yeah, and it exposes it. <laughs> yeah, I still have mine. It works fine. It, it well, except when it, it dies, except when it's, it disappears from my network for. And no it reason.
0: lies. Oh, it lies so bad about how much toner it has left. It lies oh, yeah. like a in the Night.
1: Mine has been saying it has extremely low supply levels for about three years, and is still printing just fine.
0: I c- It is telling me I'm low on color. I print color, I swear to God, like once a year Jonas has like a school product <laughs> that needs color. I print everything black and white. I know you've got plenty of color, you lying bastards. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, and you know what? With the black, it told me that I ran out of black, and eventually I really did run out. But uh, it was telling me it was like giving me this error message like I've got no toner, none, nothing. And then the paper would come out, and it looks great. Yep. It just looks great. <laughs> and I know what I I've from working at student newspapers and doing print graphic design for years before. I know what low toner looks like.
1: It's pretty obvious. It's not a yeah. subtle change. Like it's <laughs> it's like. Yeah, when 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 your printer is actually running out of toner, it it looks like it, like yeah. it, it's, it's right there, right in your face,
0: like it looks exactly what it sounds like. It's exactly. like wow, it, I can hardly read this. The letters are almost right. Risky.
1: Everything's all spotted, and yeah, like you could definitely tell.
0: Anyway, it exposes itself over bonjour, and is that legal? so yeah, I don't know. Um, but so to set it up is really kind of easy. And I'm going to have to say, and, and going back even further, the thing that cracked me up about the Business Insider headline is calling you a longtime Mac user or longtime Apple supporter. I don't know. It's like anybody who joined the team in 2003. You're not long time.
1: 2004. Um, I was even la- and I was still using Windows until 2005. Like I was um, using them both for a while.
0: One of the things that was never as good on Mac OS X as classic Mac OS was setting up printers. Like in the old days, cause it, you know, and it used to be that you had to get like an Apple printer, like a, either one from Apple, Apple, believe it or not used to make printers or, you know, like some kind of Apple compatible printer, but it always just worked. It was the, the, maybe the, one of the canonical examples of the differences between Apple's it just works experience and the PC world. You never had to worry about drivers, anything like that. You just plug it in. There it is. Shows up in your chooser. You pick the printer and boom, it works. Like just it, it was never a problem. And in macOS ten, I always, I thought that just got worse. And it was sort of the shift to industry standard printers and sort of just the uh, that those underpinnings of Next were never as hooked up to like you know the print world as Apple's classic macOS was. But anyway, it got better for a while. Um, this printer, when I first got it, was great. It's you go to the printer thing and system preferences. And there it is listed, you hit plus, there it is listed. It's like, here's a bonjour printer. Is this the one you want? Yes, there it is. Uh, just the uh, last week, I went to print something. And it, uh, you know, and I ha- it's the only printer I have the only printer I use, I hadn't changed it. And it just said, it, you know, printer can't be reached or something. And nothing would it just wouldn't come out like it was just the jobs were queuing up in that thing in the dock. So I deleted it. I deleted the printer, and I went to re-add it, and it wasn't even listed. And in the old, and I, you know what I did? I just thought, "Ah, screw it. I'll print from Amy's." And I like went to emailed it to Amy and printed from Amy's computer, uh, and it worked. And then I and I just left it at that. And I realized when I read your article that in the old days, like three, four, five years ago, when I I would have instantly thought it's got to be the printer, and went upstairs and just turned the printer on and off. And in fact, that actually worked. I did, after you know, it was your article that made me test it. I went up, turned the printer off, turned it back on, and then boom, it just worked, reconnecting it to my Mac. So it was the printer's fault. But in the old days, I would have just assumed it was the printer's fault, whereas now I thought, ah, screw it, something's wrong with Yosemite.
1: I think, well, I've had the, uh, the same issue, and it's, it's, it's like I have the same issue with other Yosemite Macs that are on the network. So I think it's it's an issue with like with Yosemite losing its 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 connection to the printer like losing its discovery of the printer like so Yosemite mm. they they rewrote so, some part of the networking uh stack I don't know the details um but they they basically combined some of the discovery and and uh and that related stuff into this new thing called discovery D. Yes. And uh and people keep reporting a lot of Wi-Fi and and network discovery issues with Yosemite it's probably related to that because they changed a bunch of that to enable things like continuity and handoff and stuff like that and airdrop to the mat, like, between the two. So that stuff all changed in Yosemite, so that's most likely the source of these problems. Yeah, so
0: my, my spidey sense that it was Yosemite probably is right. It's just that yeah. the solution of turning the printer off and on probably isn't even HP's fault.
1: It, no, it almost certainly isn't because, like, I have the same problem with every Mac on the network.
0: Hmm. Well, I believe it. A lot of networking problems in, in general... And, like, again, not one networking issue, but just, you know, Hockenberry's description of it as a thousand paper cuts is exactly right. Is A yeah. big chunk of them seem to be networking.
1: And networking is hard. I mean, like, you know, this is, what, like, as you said earlier, like, like I don't, like, we know Apple has great people working for them. We know that these aren't idiots doing this. Uh, but, you know, the, the fact is, like, you know, my point in the piece was they're doing too much. And, and it's really starting to show, like, it, it always feels like we're using like a 1.0 release or a beta. Like there used to be some kind of stability between betas and, and the, and the GMs. It was never perfect, but there used to be like a differentiator, like, okay, well stuff's going to stop changing right before the GM by some interval of time. And the GM will be a higher degree of quality than the betas were. And then a couple revisions down the line, once you have like a 0.3, 0.4 kind of range, it'll be really stable for the next, you know, year and a half until they release a new major version.
0: If you treat it it used to be I think for for a number of years and I would say it probably covers the years your early years on the platform like that 2004 to 2008ish 9ish yeah. period. If you just had the conservative patience to treat every release as like minus 1, you do pretty well. So in other <laughs> right. words, Trust that the betas are gonna suck, and trust that the GM is really just a beta. And then trust that the 1.0 release of the OS is really like a public beta. (laughs) And wait for like the first major public update after the 1.0, you know, after system, you know, iOS 5.0 ships. Wait for 5.01, or maybe 5.02, and you'll have a really solid OS.
1: Exactly, and and these days it feels like we never reach that point of like a few point X's in, and and now it's stable. Like now we are always in the beta 1.0, 1.1 loop. It seems, and yeah, I know it, like you know technically version wise they've they've passed 1.1 with some of these, but like it, it just seems like yeah. we and 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 the GMs seem so minimally different from the betas in terms of quality like even worse than they used than they used to be like it seems like we're just always in beta now
0: seems like they're they only get around to fixing the crashers you know the big ones right and they never get around to the cleanup and it's guy english's point that the annual cycle means that and you know we're probably hitting that point right now where a lot of engineering talent at apple is probably going towards the wwdc releases of what i you know are am guessing will be ios uh Nine, nine, yeah. and system ten point
1: eleven. Exactly. Like this cycle, it doesn't leave time for stability. Really, it doesn't leave time for all those boring little bug fixes to be applied to the old, ancient version that we're all still using. Because it, nothing ever gets that old.
0: Yeah. Uh, let me take a break and thank our second sponsor, and it is your and my everybody's very good friends at Squarespace. You guys know Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform where you can host, build, design, create your website. You need a website, you go to Squarespace, and you have a website. It's that easy. You get to pick your domain name. You get to pick from a bunch, including a whole bunch of new ones, themes. You get to edit the content right there in your website. When you're logged in, you can just drag the stuff around, add the components you want, so many presets to choose from. Uh, and they have a brand new Squarespace 7. That's the latest version. You can go to squarespace.com slash 7. Spell it out like the movie, S-E-V-E-N. Uh, and see all the new stuff. Because you guys know, we talk about Squarespace all the time. They sponsor shows for years. Uh, so you're familiar with it. Go to that what URL slash 7 at their site and find out the new stuff. But at the highlights, they've got integration with Google Apps. That's huge for people who are using this with... Uh, companies that, you know, use Google apps. Uh, They've redesigned their whole interface. Uh, They have a partnership with Getty Images now, so you can get stock photos and images right there from within the Squarespace interface, new templates, um, things like cover pages, so you can have like a splash screen. Splash screens are back. Um, And probably best of all, the best thing that they have, I think, isn't even technical. It's their tech support, 24-7 all hours all days you can get tech support via live chat and email uh and the whole thing it starts at eight bucks a month you just can't lose um and you get i forget how much i don't know what is it a month what do you get a month free
1: the trial yeah they don't even tell you yeah they don't even tell you you start i think it starts out with as a week but then like when, when you hit that week they'll send you an email saying, hey, do you want You want more time? And you just click a link and they give you like another week.
0: Yeah, they, I'm, that's how confident they are that you're going to stick with it because once your free trial over, eventually, um, you're going to be like, I'd be nuts to leave. This is great. You do it with no credit card required. Just go there and start creating a website. Free. So the URL to know that they came from the show is squarespace.com slash gruber. Um. And the code when you sign up is my initials JG. I I don't know why they don't match up, but it's that code that you need. You need to keep that in mind because it really doesn't matter what you do when you sign up. Go there, just go to squarespace.com and sign up because you're going to get a free trial. You'd be why pay? You know, take the free trial to start. It's when the free trial's over you got to remember the code JG. Uh, And when you use that code, you'll save ten percent. So not only will you help support the show, uh, but you'll save some of your own money as well. So my thanks to Squarespace. If you need a website, you're nuts if you don't look at Squarespace first.
1: That's my new slogan for Squarespace. I could have you do all my ad reads. So much better. I like
0: yours. I like the one because you actually had the story about your kid's school, where uh, the preschool or whatever, and they were going to spend seven thousand dollars on a website. I think
1: it was three. It was three or thirty five hundred. Oh, I don't know.
0: Anybody and if you everybody knows, there is not a schools don't have money to burn. It's it's no. is like a little
1: co op preschool. Like this is not a like they don't have money. It is
0: like kudos to you for being an involved parent at the school, but you were like like uh will you give me like two days
1: yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you took like two days and build them a website and now they two hours (laughs) and
1: now they pay eight dollars a month yeah instead of three thousand (laughs) dollars which
0: for a website let's face it and who knows who they were going to pay the 3500 to but you know what it was probably gonna suck anyway i love that story that was great
1: yeah it's such a clear win for squares and now and like I'm not even the person who's responsible for keeping the website updated. Somebody else does that, yeah. And so it's important to like have something that they can use that isn't like my crappy CMS or some really complicated WordPress install. And then if they need support, I'm not their their tech support. Squarespace is their tech support. Yeah, so like I'm t- totally out of it. Like I did my job. My job is done. My hands are clean. And they and it's all like their system now that they can do whatever they want to, and when they have a question, they can get support from Squarespace and not me. It's perfect. Yeah,
0: ten years ago, it, that same story might have been, you know, that you would have said, "Hey, hey," and then go sign them up for like an eight dollar a month hosting account and put up an install of WordPress and pick a theme and do this and get like mostly the same thing. But that you're exactly right though. Then like, like six months later and you're reading tech meme and there's like a big, uh, vulnerability in WordPress that was exposed. And you're like, I don't think that's cool. That's cool. You no, there's no way they know. Oh, And it's on you, like whether you just like silently whistle and let the school keep going or whether now you're, (laughs) you know, you're permanently on the hook for being like the, you know, the guy who's going to fix it.
1: Or they're like, hey, you know, we want to add another widget to the sidebar. Can you do that for us? Because there's no clear way for them to do it. You know, stuff like that. Like it's just it's so much better to just outsource this to Squarespace. The the other
0: thing I love about that anecdote of yours is I feel like. It perfectly exemplifies why Squarespace advertises the way that they do, that the way that they advertise over and over and over again on shows like ours never used to make sense to me. But I think it's so that, you know, it, how many people really need to make a website right now? Who knows? Probably very few. But how many over the course of the next year are going to find themselves in a situation where they do need to make a website? And at that moment, if they first thing they think of is Squarespace, boom, they go there.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, I think it works out very well for them that way. All right.
0: It's not about needing a website while you're listening to it on the show. It's seeding it in your mind so that when you hit that situation where your school wants to spend $4,000 on a website, that you say, uh, no, don't do do that. Um, I want to go back to what you were talking about. And, and here's the, I have this in my notes here for the show and talk about dev relations. And I think it's a big part of the problem that we're talking about here. And I think Apple's developer relations is overwhelmed. Now I don't know the numbers, and so it's the ballpark figure. Um, but for talking with somebody at Apple, they their rough estimate is that uh, Microsoft's dev, developer relations team is somewhere in between ten and fifty times larger than Apple's. And yeah, I, I said fifty, and he was like, "Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised." And if you're like a serious and you might know more about this than I do. I've never been a, have never written a goddamn line of code for uh, windows, but you know, the basic idea is if you're a professional developer and doing some kind of serious work on windows, you can get the attention of somebody competent and who can get stuff done on their developer relations team. And so if you're being driven up the wall by this obscure bug in a framework, um, you can get. You may not get a solution right away. You and you certainly may not. You know, it's you may not get a, a version of Windows release that has a fix for it right away. But you can at least get somebody's attention to get it in front of the right people. And it doesn't feel like when you're reporting things to Microsoft, it doesn't feel like you're, you know, just filing things into a black hole. And that Apple's developer relations. Not that they're not well-meaning, but that they're just overwhelmed, absolutely positively overwhelmed. And it's its like Microsoft's developer relations team is of a size that is appropriate for a company that had and saw as its rightful place that 90-some percent of all software in the world is written for it. And Apple's developer relations is still of a scale of a company that has like 3 or 4% of the software in the world
1: well also yeah. like the the whole structure of how like how it's set up with the public or with the developers is radically different uh now i mean i don't know how microsoft is set up but but the way apple's is set up is is uh it's fairly hostile at first like apple appears to just be this brick wall that you have no way in like there's there is nowhere on as far as i know i don't think there's there's like you know a list uh, or an email address to say like hey ask a developer evangelist a question um so i i just i, I just searched because um, i i've always wondered like is there a public list anywhere of who the apple evangelists even are and if you search google for apple developer evangelists nowhere on on the first page is anything from apple um there's there's a github gist where somebody else some random person just compiled the list from wbdc <laughs> and and has and, and there's a bunch of question marks on it too, <laughs> um, like this. Every every year at WBDC, um, you you can always tell like in, in the first few days, if you look around some of the bigger sessions, the very last slide they will show the presenter's name, their email address, and their title. That is usually the first time you see their title. It is almost certainly the first time you see their email address. And you look around the room, and when that, that slides on screen for about eight seconds, and you see half the room racing to write down that email address.
0: Taking pictures of it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. See, I,
0: I've noticed that in recent years now that right? everybody has an iPhone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, like, that's, like, the, that's like the first time that, that most people see, like, oh, my God, there's an email address for somebody who works in Apple in the developer group somewhere that I can contact.
0: Plus, I think people worry rightfully that they want to write it down or get a picture of it now because who knows if they're going to cut it out of the published version of the right. video, Because right? they,
1: they cut a lot out of those videos. Right. They uh, cut mistakes out. Who they cut knows mistakes if they, out, who they, knows? They, cut, they cut out laughter and applause. They, they cut right. out a lot.
0: Like if all of a sudden this guy gets overwhelmed with email, maybe that you know they're going to take his email out. So you better get c- it down while you can. I, right. I've, I, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Right. And I like, think it's And a, that's weird. Like the, 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 if these people's job is to interact with the public, with the developers at least, with the developer public, about these frameworks and these areas of, of development. There's no list on Apple's site anywhere that lists them? Like, that's weird, isn't it? I I don't think
0: that it's malice. I don't think it's that they don't mean well. I And in fact, the people I know in Apple developer relations, for the most part, are great people. And at least, I, I've never met anybody who's like, I would call it unpleasant. I would say no. they're really sharp. I think that they are overwhelmed, though. I think that they, I'm sure they've staffed up somewhat, but I think for the most part, they're of a basic magnitude that was appropriate for Apple 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And now they're one of, if not the most popular developer platform in the world, and they're just overwhelmed. Again, the number that I heard from somebody again a rough estimate, but that Microsoft's team is ten to 50, ten ten to fifty times larger.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's and entirely like, different. Magnitude. And this this list on GitHub of who the evangelists are at Apple has like twelve people on it. <laughs> it's a pretty small list. <laughs> so uh, and like and you know they are you know if they were one that would explain a lot because you know, even like there's, there's developer um, relations managers or, or representatives, like people will say, Oh, I talk to a developer rep or my developer rep. Um, I don't know how you go about getting a developer rep for the first, I don't know, five years that I had an app in the app for all of Instapaper and all of the magazine. I never, I, I could never find one. No one ever contacted me. I didn't have a developer rep if if that even is a thing. Um, it wasn't until, uh, overcast that somebody, somebody emailed me from, you know, some press thing, like they reached out. Um, and so it wasn't really until that, that I had like a, a contact that I could email at Apple to like ask a question to, or to bring a concern to like, it was like, it wasn't until last year. Like, uh, and I've been in the app store since 2008, uh, and, and when I when I mentioned this to the person they with, let's
0: just and let's not mince words with some success <laughs> yeah I mean it's you again I'm not you know
1: it,
0: you know you it's not like you wrote YouTube but you know
1: pretty popular apps right and and yeah it didn't matter um, and and when I mentioned this to this person that I had never found any contacts and developed relations before they were like they were surprised I was like really are, are you sure like that that really like that's like they were even surprised at that, but like, I don't think the people in the developer relations division, I, like, I don't think they have a good idea of how it looks from the outside, of, of how, how the developer relations system and how Apple as a whole appears to and communicates with developers who are not in with somebody.
0: The gist of it, what I've heard, and I believe it, and it it definitely plays on developer relations, but they're so overwhelmed, developer relations, that the reps are just – and they're not – and not known and hard to initiate contact with. And even once they do, it just never becomes a priority that the whole internal – I'm going to call it radar, but maybe it's – maybe that's not just – maybe radar is just the database. But the whole radar system is entirely geared internally toward fixing – bugs from within Apple itself, right? So if you're on, if you're writing, if you're one of the engineers on pages and you run into a text kit bug, it gets taken care of exactly as you would think. And it goes up the post and it gets put in front of the right person and they run your example project and say, oh, I see and fix it. And then, you know, it just works. It's all, but it's, there's nothing like that from the outside. Like It's like 99% internal and like 1% external. And I'm not saying the balance should be fifty-fifty. Uh, you know, I I think it's you know obvious that it's, of course Apple's going to fix their own bugs first, but it's it's just not even close. And it's not even like oh, poor us, poor third-party developers, we're not getting our bugs fixed. It's these are things that affect users, everybody. You know, the bug we're we're fighting for these bugs because they affect the experience of the users.
1: Right. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know how you solve this problem except by making certain parts of Apple much bigger, and that's obviously not an easy thing to do. Like, you know, they are all the like mythical man month kind of things. Like, I th- you know, and you I think can't it's a just staff up.
0: I think it's a scary thing for them to do too, because yeah. you know they've seen it over the. You know, everybody's seen this industry for twenty years, and everybody knows that Microsoft got a lot bigger, and then it got it got slow and
1: lumbering. Right. And, and they also, you know, they're going to have trouble staffing up, possibly, because when you work for Apple, you have, you know, you have to, first of all, you have to be there. Like, they don't do remote work for most things. They, they have a couple of remote offices for certain, like, isolated projects, but for the most part, they don't do remote work. So you have to be there. They're competing with everyone else in the Silicon Valley region for top talent, and that is that is extremely competitive uh and and i would imagine they probably have trouble retaining a lot of these good people because like like i mean you know we know tons of tons of like our friends and people we knew at apple who like they were at apple for a while and then they want to go out and try being an ios developer or being being a mac developer themselves like independently because when you're in apple you can't really have side projects
0: yeah and it's funny i bet being a developer relations uh Rep is even more easily right. poached because your whole job is reaching out to other people, and they're going to be like, "Wow, you're awesome! Why don't you come work for us?"
1: Right? Yeah, I bet like, it happens. You and, know? Yeah, and if if you're if you are if you're like an iOS expert who has worked for Apple, that's a pretty good qualifier. Yeah. I would imagine it makes you pretty valuable on the market. So it, I I expect that they probably have a lot of trouble first attracting and then retaining great talent there. In addition to any cultural issues that and challenges that would come with trying to grow the company substantially larger. So, But but I don't really see a way around that being the eventual outcome. Like, I don't think they can keep the company the current size. And I know they also have issues with, like, they don't have the space. Like, that's why they're building this giant new campus. Like, they're out of room, too. But, you know, it's it, there's all these problems. But, you know, these problems aren't just going to disappear like they, and I, I i think they are working towards that i hope they're working towards that but i think there's going to be some uncomfortable migration uncomfortable growth as the company becomes a bigger organization but i think it has to be
0: yeah i, th- I think people are third party developers are exercising things that just don't get exercised within apple you know um i would say like the extensions are a perfect example of that uh like the sharing extensions where Apple knew what they would be used for, but the things that Apple itself really wants in there, they were already there anyway. Because if Apple is collectively agreed, hey, this should be in the sharing extension for everybody, then it was built into the system's sharing panel. It was only when third-party developers started doing it. But th- that thing is so full of little tiny bugs, like the way that when you reorder them, the order doesn't mm-hmm. stick, and
1: there's you know
0: just a bunch of little things like that. You know, It's just a perfect example of something that did, to me doesn't quite work right.
1: And and there was there's was a couple of little like little limitations that ended up having pretty big ramifications. Um I believe it was Brian Iras of Tumblr made a nice blog post right before iOS eight came out, listing like all the little challenges that they had with the Tumblr yes, extension. And it was he, Brian and he, Irace. Yeah, and yeah. he he did the right thing. He he reported them all as radars and listed all the radar numbers in the post and everything. Um but you know, like they they actually like I remember well I don't know if that's public. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so, what like, we learned
0: building the iOS Tumblr iOS share extension.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So
0: it will be in the show
1: notes. So we have we have you know the system itself. It has bugs. It has all these limitations. It's you know that's got to get better, and you know hopefully it will over time. It probably will. But I think you know, and and all the stuff around the app rejection is pretty substantially worse too like all the rejections around this i i think what we're seeing is the the policy from apple is pretty clear the policy is the the implied policy rather is keyboards should not contain anything that isn't a keyboard like you know it shouldn't be able to do anything that is not like text entry you know it shouldn't be it shouldn't have any other Cool features built in, like a calculator built into your keyboard. Like they obviously, like this is the implied rule: your keyboard should only be a keyboard of some sort. Yeah, no, 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 extras.
0: Can't put a version of Desert Golfing in
1: as a keyboard. Correct. Similarly, your Today View, your Today Extension or widget, whatever they're called, your Today View should or or must be in general a quick glance kind of thing. It shouldn't be the place where you spend time. It shouldn't be a place where you complete a long-running task, it should just be a quick view. Those are the implied rules. But they won't come out and say that. Right. Like they, they won't codify that and say, this is the rule, it's a high-level rule, this should only be used for this. Like That's clearly what they want, but what they're saying instead is, well we're going to try to draw the line exactly where, like, more precisely where this should be, more lower level, and they're going to say, well, you can't have buttons that launch your app, or you can't complete the task, or you can't have too many buttons, or you can't have this kind of button, or you can't simulate a keyboard in your today view. Like, they try to come up with all these little tiny explanations of lower level implementation detail rules, but that's clearly not, like, those are all just, you know, that is somebody not wanting to state the real rule, the higher level rule, which is, this system is intended only for this. You can, you're only allowed to do this, and that it's just not. I don't know. I don't know why they won't just say the higher level rule because I think that would actually generate less controversy and would be easier for developers to follow and to know. Like, certainly some developers would be like, "Well, does this count?" But you know, you see the high level rule, and that would that would at least give you some idea, like if I stray from this, it's going to be rocky territory and a a rejection risk.
0: I, I think the app store stuff definitely plays into it. I don't know how different that is from typical dev relations, but it ought to be tied up because it's in Apple's view, the app store is, and then for iOS, it absolutely is the only way other than the enterprise stuff. Um, you know it's the only way it's it's an inextricable part of the development process so app store problems should be considered developer relation problems it the whole thing like with the pan the recent things panic has gone through and like where they had the the issue with their uh uh saving feature in transmit where you know they didn't want them to be able to save to iCloud drive and therefore they had to take the whole thing out because even the stuff that hooks up to dropbox and box.net because there's no control over that, um, and then you know I wrote about it. A couple other people wrote about it, and then all you know, saner saner minds prevailed. And okay, they got it fixed. And there's this whole angle that everybody agrees on: everybody that you shouldn't have to have you know daring fireball publish it to get your story fixed. You shouldn't have to go public to get that, and you shouldn't have to be of the um, prominence of panic. To do that, you know, like some upstart who nobody's heard of yet should be able to get this, you know, the same reasonable correction with an app store problem that Panic got, um, right? And can't... and they
1: have they have the appeal system set up there, so like in theory this sh- it should work. You should be able to go to the appeal, which like you know from what I understand, so you know the, you have the reviewers on one level, and from what I understand, the appeal doesn't just go to the same people; it goes to like a level above those people, and so if some reviewer just made a bad call. The appeal should work. The system that's in place there should work. The question is, why doesn't it work as well yeah. as running to the press? Like, right. running to the press and making a big stink, yeah, that's going to work just by the way PR works. That's going to work a little bit better, you know, on occasion. But it shouldn't work so much better. It shouldn't be like—and like, like and, and in Panic even said, I mean, in Panic will say these things in the nicest way possible because, you know, they don't want to start any—, any stuff but but you know they even said like it's unfortunate but you know this method is what works
0: yeah and we've gotten a q branch we've gotten bugs fixed because we know people who work on the framework that we're having the problem with and we could you know i think literally at at wwdc brent had like coffee with somebody and showed the example project, which he had already submitted months ago in a radar, you know, here's a simple 13 line example project that shows the bug exactly. But he got to show it to a guy from the framework team right in his face, you know, not not a confrontationally, you know, Brent, but it was like oh, they're yeah. drinking, you know, drinking coffee at the hotel bar. And the guy was like, oh, I see. Oh, I bet I know what that is. And he like, you know, made a note of it. And but you shouldn't have to know somebody and have coffee with an engineer. You know, it's just because Brent knew that, you know, knew him for years. That, that that doesn't scale. To say that that doesn't scale is, you know, self-evident.
1: Right. I mean, so you have in the re- the reality of the iOS ecosystem and, and the Mac, the reality of the Apple dev ecosystem is that you have the official channels up that are just this tremendous wall and filter, and you know, and what you said earlier makes sense that they are extremely understaffed in these areas or, or they they're not scaling very well. That that explains a lot because. It seems like where the general public is, is shown to go is just a wall that is extremely ineffective, has very few ways in, uh, and it is just very off putting. And, and just, it, you know, they're, they're trying to deflect everyone. It, it's like when you call a big company and you get put on hold for 35 minutes on some touchstone menu that really wants you to follow with self help options. Like, they don't want you to get in through the public way because they can't handle it all. Then you have all of us going through, like, the side door because we know somebody, and that ends up working better. That's not good. Like, that, that, sh- that should be embarrassing. That should be yeah. a major problem that needs to I fix.
0: Th- it seems like something they could fix because, you know, like, and again, I think the biggest problem is what you said, which is just that hiring talented people in general is hard, and it's especially hard in the Valley. Um, but, you know, guess what works? Money. And guess what Apple has? They have money. Right. So I, I I can't help but think it is fixable. Um,
1: well, and you know there, who's I to think, say they have to always keep everybody in Cupertino, right. right? Like they think like there are parts of their business that can be easily on at some other location. Like I work is in Pittsburgh. Like right. they, they like there are parts of Apple's business that can be other places, and and I think I think Gus was saying they're opening up an office in Seattle. Yeah. Wasn't it? So like it looks like they might be starting to be more willing to branch this out a little bit but
0: yeah and i think the seattle office is going to be cloud stuff
1: I that's, don't know. yeah that's the rumor i don't know if we i don't know if we have any good info on that yet but yeah. but uh yeah so like i i think um you know they 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 need to start breaking down some of these barriers with themselves of like the way they the way they've always done things or the or the kind of or the rules they have internally like if they say everyone has to work on site you you better make more sites because in <laughs> more places because that's like they have to become a bigger company there are so many areas where they are clearly understaffed or under-resourced and as you said it's not for money like it's it's not because of money as far as we can tell
0: unless they foresee a a near-term future where they're not going to have so many third-party developers and i i don't see how they could possibly think that cuz it doesn't see i don't see how that's possible um they they really need a bigger developer relations team much bigger like factor of factor of 10 With not just headcount, but with authority within the company to to get issues escalated and put in front of the right people. And as this week has gone on, and this has been the topic of the week, I'm thinking my my thinking has shifted more and more that it's a lot more a developer relations problem and a lot less due to what I initially had been thinking for a long time, which is the annual release cycle of the two OSs.
1: Well, I think those are two different problems. I mean <laughs> I do too. I think certainly... And I think there's a, I think
0: it's you know it's clearly multivariable and those are both definitely two of the variables. Absolutely. But my thinking has shifted in terms of which one is a, a bigger problem. And I think too, which one to my eyes meshes with the timeline of what I'm seeing. I've you know, I think that it's as iOS has gotten more complicated and therefore there are more things that could go wrong, uh, and as the 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 ratio of developers to developer relations people within Apple has gotten more and more absurd, that correlates to me, to my eyes, with the shift in quality. And Maybe. again, I, I think Hawkenberry nailed it. It's like loose screws. It's the software equivalent of loose screws.
1: Yeah, just like sloppy little flaws that aren't fatal, but... Yeah, I mean, and I think these problems are intertwined, you know, like, like, it's hard to, it's hard to say, well, developer relations is responsible for a general decline in quality in Apple software and services. Right. But
0: that's too simple. That's way too simple. Right. And that's why. But you you
1: can look at certain parts, You, you can say like, well, if they're, if they're saying that they're not seeing more bugs being reported, and therefore they don't know what problems to fix, they don't have enough information to fix them. Why aren't more bugs being reported? And then you can start following that rabbit hole, and be like, oh well, actually, this is related to developer relations, or if it's related to the to the bug reporter system, or related to the what the image Apple has among developers and the personality, like, because the the personality of individual people within Apple I've I've spoken with or that I know couldn't possibly be more different than the public persona of Apple. The public yeah. persona of Apple is, as I said, it's it's a brick wall and it's it's pretty terse and it's pretty unwelcoming to developers uh, and and to public input of any kind really yeah but the the individual people I, I've met and spoken with at Apple are the complete opposite they're they're friendly normal people they're a lot of our friends like so
0: well, why take, is that
1: disconnect there and, and they take Ken, enormous
0: pride in our work yeah. like if you can't if you are lucky enough to get your bug in front of the person who can like an engineer who can fix it they're they're gonna take care of it they are offended by any and all bugs
1: right because they're good engineers like so so what is the disconnect here is it a process issue is it a policy issue is it just like inertia going in the wrong direction in certain things i don't know but the the issues at apple are seemingly seemingly deep rooted it's something that's like not budging you know like some some part of the culture inside or the, or the process the way things are done is it needs to be modernized and and it hasn't been yet and th- and that's not an easy thing to do you know that's I mean, I don't know anything about big companies. but
0: I wonder how much, too, that the historical artifacts of the size of their developer relations team being relatively small, how much of that relates to not just the fact that 10, 15, 20 years ago, Apple was A, a smaller company, B, had far fewer users, and C, had far fewer developers, but also with the peculiar nature of the third-party to, to, to modernize peculiar to our current eyes of that it was dominated by just like three or four huge companies, Adobe, Microsoft, uh, you know, go so far, right. the, uh, macro media, uh, you know, just a hand, you know, I, maybe more than four or five, but you know, that you just 10, 11, 12, big, big developers who I think, at, and by all accounts that I've heard, you know, did have, you know, uh, like platinum card developer relations treatment from Apple and that they were they're sort of built up for that sort of world.
1: Yeah, and that that's that's a very very good point. I mean it, it's and it seems like a lot of Apple like even if you look at like the SVP roles, you know, why why is the entire developer relations system under the head of marketing? Why is the entire cloud infrastructure system why is the same guy responsible for the entire cloud infrastructure system and also negotiating deals with record labels like the like i I think they need they need to get wider as an organization they need like more divisions and they need each they need some of these divisions to have like you know more more power at the top or more say and you know like like that's what like I said I, I tweeted a while ago like if you want to see um app areas where apple doesn't do so well, look at which svps have way too much on their plate. Well, I think, and and, and again, I don't think it's like personal. Like, I I don't think Phil Schiller and Andy Q are you know weak at their jobs. I'm saying like, if that's the way the organization is structured, where all these things are under like you know the like fairly disparate things are under one organization with one person representing them at the top, I think that's too much on their plate.
0: Yeah, if anything, it's that they're effective at their jobs. I mean, I mean, it was it was explicit. It was a rare instance where they publicly said. Um, Like when they added maps to Eddie Q's plate, it you know, that usually they don't make announcements like that publicly. But the right. whole forestall thing was, you know, had to be done somewhat publicly. And the explanation was Eddie, you know, gets stuff done. So maps need stuff done. So now it's Eddie's. And, at, you know, truth be told, maps has gotten significantly better. Yeah. People still people point to maps. Maps is a bad example, in my opinion, because maps is a product that I think is clearly headed in the right direction. Is it possible that it could be headed in that direction faster? I guess, of course, you can always do somewhat better. Um, and is it is it as good quality wise as Google Maps? No, but that's I think that's mainly because Google still has the pedal to the metal on Google Maps, and Google is improving Google Maps at a very quick rate, and so Apple Maps might lag behind it for years to come until they sort of get to the you know the point of diminishing returns where they're both. You know, as close to perfect as they can get. Um, I think Maps is a bad example because I think they're getting a lot better at Maps.
1: Well, I I disagree with with the with the chances of Maps being you know eventually tying up with Google Maps because it like those kind of large big data problems. Apple has never shown that they're very good at them. Uh, they they where where I think Apple gets a bum rap um, is is the general cloud services. Term. I think
0: Maps today, Apple Maps today, is already better than Google Maps was a few years ago. I'm not quite sure how many a few. Mm, is. I don't know about that. But I get, I get, I used to get bad, deri- I, I, bad driving directions from Google maps. Uh, you know, it was always better. It was just like with search where I was, I, I, th- I guess I used MapQuest before. And right when I switched to Google maps, it was like, this is better. And it wouldn't do stupid things like getting me from my house to, you know, I 95. It's like, you know, it gave me reasonable directions, um, for the first few steps of a trip. Um, uh, in my experience, I mean again, this is the sort of thing where everybody, depending on where you live, might be having different results. But I think Apple Maps is already better than Google Maps used to be some number of years ago. It's not as good as Google Maps is today, but it's it's getting there. I like I don't think that it's I, I think it's already good enough that it's proof that they can do a large data set problem to some degree of quality.
1: Maybe I don't know. Then I look at App Store search and I cry um i i but i I think overall well that's see now
0: that is a great example let's forget about math (laughs) but app store search is a great example of something that's always been shit is still shit and there's no evidence at all that they're getting better at it or that they've hired anybody you know so uh, to me the solution is so obvious just find someone who's done a good work at like bing or google search and hire a team of engine you know Coach a team of engineers with experience at one of the successful search engines. I,
1: I think the problem there is, you know, in general, the, the app store, like the store itself, not like the politics that go on behind it, but like the store itself, the interface to the store, the the infrastructure that runs the store, uh, the, the store apps themselves, the categories in the store, the, the ability that the store pages have, like the different fields, the descriptions, you know, like all this stuff, that stuff changes incredibly slowly. A lot of it has never changed. Uh, it like it, it. The App Store. It, it seems like
0: the install button for the Yosemite App Store still looks like uh, the old Mac OS.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 the boy. The if you think the iOS App Store app is is a little rough on the edges, the Mac App Store app is pretty rough. That's that's been a, a frequent source of bugs. Um. It's it's just it's just rough. It the the iPhone one is the least bad. The iPad one is Kind of pretty bad, and the Mac one is really bad. Uh, but anyway, like all that stuff, it, it seems like it, I don't think this is an instance of like this team needs fifty more engineers. I think it's an instance of Apple thinks this is good enough, and and that's that's what frustrates me about the App Store and, and its various quality issues. And again, I'm not I'm not talking about like you know the policies in this case. I'm actually talking about the store, like the actual App Store itself. Um, there are so many things they could do that would make it better that they seem to think they don't need to do. But but overall, though, I, I, I think Apple's cloud services get a bum rap. I think if you look at what, what we do on our Apple devices that rely on Apple's cloud services, uh, most of it just works fine. And it's, again, it's that error rate multiplier thing. Like, the, the edges stick out, and then we all scream and say, Apple's cloud services suck. But the reality is, like most of them, like the, the biggest, as far as I know, what I would expect at least, the, the biggest Apple cloud service is the system that delivers push notifications and iMessage. And that works extremely well. And if you think about the scale that that's operating on, that's insane. Like the, 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 the amount of messages that get delivered, and like all my interactions with that service as a developer. Like the the servers that, that take in push requests are just lightning fast. Like it it will take requests as quickly as your network can stream them to it. It it and it, it never fails. I've never had a connection error reported by any of those tasks that run on my servers, like at least one that wasn't my fault, like on my network. Uh it, it is ridiculous how well that system works. Uh from what I've heard, CloudKit works. I mean, I haven't used it yet, but when I've heard CloudKit works, like all like this this new infrastructure that they're building, that they built CloudKit on, that they're building all the photo library stuff on, all the indications so far, it is a little early, but all the indications so far say that that's rock solid. So it does seem like most of their cloud services do work and are solid. Uh, but you know, you you definitely hear about the ones that don't.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think the people who are holding that stuff up as examples of this are are I think they're wrong. Let me take a break, and I want to talk. I guess the last thing we could talk about would be the annual schedule, um, and maybe we can talk about that uh, crazy new MacBook that Mark Gurman says is coming.
1: That's going to be weird.
0: Um, you, you know, but, we're both going to buy one. No, I don't want to now because I just bought a, a MacBook Pro. <laughs> you say that now? No, I just I, I've <laughs> my MacBook Pro is is what I want. I want. Well, do speed. you
1: still have your 11 inch?
0: I do. I'm actually recording this, but all I all, literally all I use it for is to record the show. And to take a look at anything, it's still running um, 10.9. So to take a look at anything in the old UI that I want to, what was it like when you, what did we do before Yosemite? Right. The only two things I use this machine for.
1: Does it look totally garish and outdated now? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's been it's been such a short time. <laughs>
0: yeah, looking at 10.9 is oh my god, it's ridiculous. It's not quite as ridiculous as looking at pre iOS 7 iOS, yeah. but it's cuz cause, cuz cause they are they never quite blinged or they they de blinged it at one point and left it there.
1: It's even uh, worse when like so now that so you now use a Retina iMac full time, right? Right. So uh how, how bad is it when you see a non-Retina screen now?
0: That's well. My eleven inch has has the non Retina screen, and it's like, ugh.
1: yeah. Like I, I did, I, I got a Mac Mini for some some uh, auxiliary duties here. It's it runs headless, but we have a, we have an old uh, twenty seven inch uh, LED whatever cinema display in the closet. So I took that out to set it up, and so I had so I kept going back back and forth between my twenty seven inch Retina iMac and the twenty seven inch Thunderbolt display, which at the time it came out was an amazing display. They still sell it. It's now well now it's Thunderbolt. I I have the pre one anyway. Right. It's, it's an amazing display. Yeah, like cr- incredibly good, like bright, nice colors, great you know, great brightness, great contrast. Like by all specs, it is an amazing display. And when it came out, I remember like I had some other like HP monitor, and I looked at I looked at the two. I'm like, oh my god, my HP monitor looks like crap compared to this wonderful Apple monitor. And now that, that I have you know the Retina version of that same thing, basically, uh, going between the two as I was setting up the like the first time I, I saw the the Thunderbolt one, the, the non Retina one, I'm like. Oh, is this the wrong resolution? Like, what is what is wrong with this? It looks terrible. Like, what? Oh my god, this was normal. I looked at this all day. Like, it's it's. I know this sounds awful, but it's it's such a it's such a difference. Uh, but yeah, I would imagine yeah, like looking back at Mavericks once you're accustomed to Yosemite, it probably looks quite ridiculous. Yeah.
0: The other thing that makes me think I might not like, if if, assuming that the German thing is true, that well, we'll talk about it in this segment. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think I would like the. The keyboard. Yeah.
1: I'm concerned, yeah, because because it's too close together, right?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing I never liked about my 11 inch Air, and not that, not I don't even know if it's close enough, but that doesn't have the key travel that the bigger PowerBooks do, and it's one of the f- oh it nice... doesn't. No, well at least mine didn't. I got the my 11 inch Air is the last Air that doesn't have keys that light
1: up. Yeah, you have the 2010. Yeah, uh, it was the only one that ever. It was only like the the first one did the 2008 old crappy one that did light up. Then the, the 2010 ones initially didn't, and then they brought it back in 2011.
0: Right. No, the keys, when you press them, don't go as far down as on other Powerbooks. And it's the nicest, probably the single nicest thing about the... Well, the screen's the nicest thing, but the second nicest thing after the Retina screen is the keyboard. Oh, and I that's just, totally news
1: to me. I, right. I thought that they all used the same part. Like, all the all the current Apple apps, I thought, the, I thought the keyboard was the exact same in all of them.
0: You know, and for obvious reasons, the main thing I use a Powerbook for instead of... Or no, I still call them Powerbooks. The main thing I use a MacBook for... <laughs> instead of an iPad in any situation is typing. so Right, right. The nice keyboard, really. So I'm worried about that. Anyway, let me tell you about our third sponsor. It's another longtime friend of the show. It's our friends at Harry's. Harry's sells high quality. I would say the highest quality men's shaving stuff. And they sell it at amazing prices. Um, the basic gist, you've heard the backstory, but the basic gist is that the founders of Harry's uh, just ask themselves one day, why the hell is it so hard and so expensive to, uh, to buy razors? Why, when you go into a drugstore, do you have to find like a clerk who can unlock a glass cabinet and get it out? I mean, you know why they lock them up. It's the shoplifting, I guess. Uh, but it just makes buying it a whole pain in the ass. And why is, why are the blades so expensive? Uh, so they started a company to disrupt the market, uh, and they take it super Super seriously, they bought their own razor blade factory in Germany. They found a razor blade factory making high quality blades. They bought it, they're making their own blades. It's not just some kind of white label, you know, they don't just scribble the name Harry's on a bunch of blades, they just buy and on the market. They buy high quality stuff, uh, they make high quality stuff. The handles are great, everything about the products is great. When you snap the blade into the handle, it has a nice click. It comes in a nice box. I've said before, I always feel terrible throwing away the Harry's box because it just yeah. <laughs> looks like the type of box. It's like an Apple box. Like nobody throws away their Apple boxes. It, and, but then I think, well, now my 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 bathroom is filled with empty Harry's boxes. But trust me, that's how good this stuff is. Um, really great stuff. They've got good shaving cream, aftershave, stuff that smells good. Uh, they've slowly, but surely since they've started, they've started expanding their range of stuff where they've got a couple of more options. So if you checked them out a while ago, uh, it's worth looking at harrys.com and see some of the new products that they have that are relatively new. Um, but the main thing is their starter kit is just 15 bucks. That's a razor, three blades, and your choice of either their shave cream or the foaming shave gel. Um, and when you buy new blades... This is where it really kicks in. It's about half the price of like the top stuff from Gillette or Schick or whatever. Just go to Amazon, go to Amazon and like price compare, like what a replacement set of five blades from Gillette costs compared to Harry's. And it's literally about, you know, give or take 50%. You know, it's a factor of 2x. Uh, and you have the convenience where you just order online, you don't have to go into a store or anything like that. It just shows up at your house when you need them. Um, really can't say how nice it is. It's just a great experience, great product. Uh, and, you know, everybody has to shave something. So
1: Here's your yeah. new motto for the year.
0: Yeah. So where do you go to find out more? Go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and use the code TALKSHOW. No the, just TALKSHOW. And I forget what their deal is, but you'll save some bucks.
1: Five and bucks off your first order.
0: That's it. Five bucks off your first order. Um, so my thanks to Harry's great product. Talk show is the code. You'll save five bucks. So I get wait. you get the kit for just 10 bucks. I think so. That's crazy. It's a great product. You can't believe that you buy it for, even for 15 bucks. You just can't believe that, it, that it's 15 bucks. Great company. So the annual schedule, that's, ooh, shit. My disc is full. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to delete some podcasts here.
1: That's fine.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, I want to talk about the annual schedule, which I think is uh, for Yosemite and iOS, which they've stuck to for a couple of years and as a source for this trend that we're seeing. And I think part of this too is sort of from within Apple is sort of a they can't win scenario because in the early years of the iPhone, 2007, 2008, the Mac they admitted they even had like a press release the one time they had to publicly say we pulled engineers from mac os 10 to help get the new you know ios 2.0 out the door right that was left, so, right yeah so we're delaying the mac os till october i think it was supposed to come out at wwdc in june and it's now it's not coming out till october um you know steve jobs even had his name on it I, you know you know that that you know that that hurt them to have to say something like that um
1: yeah, but like nothing bad happened as a result of that
0: no but they're I, I I'm not even saying something bad happened for it I'm just saying though that I feel like within Apple they're like proud of the fact that they've gotten to the point where they can do uh keep both os's in states of constant development you know that well, they're,
1: can they well I
0: don't think either Yosemite or iOS 8 is so bad that I wish I hadn't upgraded
1: no they're not and that's see that that's the problem like it's and maybe maybe this is maybe this is part of the problem like they're not bad enough that like alarm bells are going off right but the the rate of tiny paper cuts seems to be increasing yeah
0: and i don't know like is it is it, it you know if they're going to do that is this the in a, it is this the way it has to be you know is there no way to either they slow down one or the other operating systems or this is what we're going to get like i don't know
1: well, I I don't think a slowing down would necessarily be that bad. I mean, you know, and right now we're going through a few tr- a few big transitions in the OSs, I and mean, we've been going through them over the last couple of releases. Where you know, iOS seven was the massive redesign, in addition to a whole bunch of new frameworks under the hood. Um, iOS eight added the whole extension system, which is a pretty substantial thing.
0: Well, um, and the whole the whole idea of having these it, it, cross inter inter application. Not just extensions in particular. Extensions are like one version of it. But the way that so much of how we interact with the system is going through these, um, you know. Yeah, the, X- the
1: XPC thing. Yeah,
0: the XPC stuff. Yeah. And so instead of having things that run in your app and if they go bad, crash your app, they're outside your app in a sandbox. And it's it's not just one thing like uh, sharing extensions. It's a whole bunch of things. It's a big transition.
1: Right. And so like so they're going through transitions like that. Uh, you know they, so maybe the last few releases have just been bigger than than the releases will usually be. You know maybe this problem will will settle down in the next couple of releases just by nature of they've now they've they're now on the other side of these giant transitions. But and and like you know when you call something a stable release, some part of it is just like a marketing value. Some part of it is like you know we're gonna declare this X point zero, and that's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but so, and so, so you could always choose to just put less in each one and, and still kind of have the best of both worlds. But some part of it also is like what Guy was saying, like the, the way, like the, the, the whole development pace of like how, how the year is spent, how the time between releases is spent, um, between like, you know, launching, fixing the bugs, then, you know, kind of quiet period where you start developing the next stuff and then, and then, you know, beta for the next thing and then launch the next thing. Um, That will still be a problem. That will still be this compressed version, uh, even if you just do less in each version. I still think it will be better than what you have now of doing a lot in each version and releasing them every year. I also, you know, it's important to point out for the marketing value of this that this is a pretty young thing. It it isn't young for iPhones, necessarily. Um, You know, most iPhones have have coincided with new iOS releases or at least been fairly close to them. Um... But they don't. First of all, they don't have to be.
0: No, I think there's always been. I don't think there's ever been an iPhone that hasn't coincided with
1: a new iOS. Yeah, it's just that I, I, think, I think you're right. I just couldn't think of. I couldn't think of the earlier ones.
0: No, there's never been, and they've, and there's never been one that can run the old OS. And some of them, like in the iOS three, iOS four era, were not so heavily new features, and you know, was a little bit more, you know, just expanding the foundation but it was always a new point0 to coincide with the new phone
1: right but but in sometimes they haven't been that way like uh, iPads like the famously the first iPad right. shipped with iOS 3.2 it was a special build a special track for the iPad right. that wasn't unified until iOS 4.2 i think or 4.1 it, it was it was even iOS 4 shipped right. first on the iPhone wasn't didn't even run on the iPad and then 4.1 or 4.2 unified them um so like they have released hard and so much of the recent high profile hardware has launched with new os versions but not all of it has and when it hasn't nothing bad happened like there was there was no real downside to the ipad shipping with 3.2 instead of waiting for 4.0 to be ready to ship this hardware product there was also no major downside to the ipad not even getting 4.0 cuz it wasn't ready yet right and like you know, a few people complain, but it wasn't a it wasn't a huge deal. It, it didn't hurt the sales of the iPad really. It didn't hurt the iPhone. It didn't hurt iOS four. like it just didn't it wasn't a big deal.
0: right. Famously, the iPad in particular had more explosive sales in those early years than it has now. Now they've stat, you know flat right. exactly and, and, so and not only for
1: other reasons, but still right. So and, and you know Macs are released all the time. and if 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 a new version of Mac OS 10 is going to be due soon, They'll they'll usually hold it same like, like like they did with the Retina iMac. They'll usually hold it for that for that same event and then they'll ship together. But you know a Mac could be released next month and it'll run the OS that's from four months ago or five months ago, whatever. And doesn't matter. Nothing nothing bad happens. You know, no one says, "Oh, Apple should have released a new OS with these new MacBook Airs." Like, nope, doesn't matter at all. Doesn't even come up. Yeah. So I, I question like the the value of having this this like lockstep of. Of major OSs tied to major hardware releases, I think is mostly self-imposed. I think they do it that way because they like to do it that way, or they think they should do it that way. But when it hasn't gone that way, I think the market has spoken loud and clear that it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I do, you know, and I don't think that it's as superficial as that they want to do it so that they have more to show in a keynote. But you know i think there's something loosely along those lines though where they they you know it's easier easier to market when there's more new features
1: right and that's what i mean when i say that marketing is becoming too high of a priority it's it's not that like cuz and that you know one of the things that bothered me like I, I never said the marketing department um because i what i didn't want to say is like Phil Schiller is personally controlling Apple and killing Fred right. Craig, Craig Federighi's goals like cuz that's not what that's not what I meant. I mean that the the idea of marketing, the the marketing yeah. benefits of this annual schedule and of lockstepping them with the hardware, that is too high of a priority. That is taking priority seemingly over software quality and that is what I have a problem with. And th- and that is not a departmental thing as far as I know. You know, I don't I don't think you know, Phil Schiller is personally taking over the company and having these battles there. I seriously doubt that. Uh, I think it's like the company has decided as a whole at the high level, like this, this schedule is, is right for the company. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to have these annual releases. We're going to, you know, tie these things lockstep so that hardware releases with software.
0: Yeah. And I've always said, you know, I think you, your point is well put. And I, I've always said that, uh, marketing at apple doesn't work like it does at a lot of other companies i don't know about most other companies i don't know but like i think the traditional way where marketing is like icing on the cake and it's like products go through development and when they're done being developed they hand them over to marketing and marketing figures out a box and a tagline and finishes it (laughs) you know it's it's better i've always said like one way to think of it is it would be Better to, you'd better understand Phil Schiller's responsibilities if you took the word marketing out of his title and just thought of him as senior vice president of product. Exactly. It's inextricably tied. T- you know, it, it, the 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 advertising of the products, the marketing of the products is inextricably tied to the development of the products from the the get go. It's it's one and the same.
1: Right. Like they're not they're not going to make a product that that there's no clear market for or that doesn't fit into their marketing message as a whole.
0: Right. And that makes their marketing, I think, refreshingly honest, that what they are bragging about about their products is usually true.
1: I mean, most of their marketing is like, here is what our product is. Period. Like, like when the, they don't need to the, do that much more than that.
0: Look, like when the MacBook Air first came out, and it, you know they had the ad where it came out of an envelope, and they were like, "Look at this laptop; it's crazy thin and crazy light." Well, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, you know, there was no no spin on it, no lie. You know, um,
1: yeah, which we'll get to in a few minutes, I bet. But yeah, uh, maybe, but yeah. So, uh, like, so, I mean, I I think the the annual review cycle. I think is a major part of the quality problems. The quality decline did, I think, precede it because the annual review cycle is pretty young. I mean, what did they start that with, Lion? Or when they went, I think when they went from Lion to Mountain Lion, I think that was the first one year interval, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was a little bit more than a year. It was, um, uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now, Mac OS 10, 10.7 Lion shipped in October 2010, and mountain lion was announced February 2012 that was February 2012 that was the one where they had like the private briefings like a uh, rhyme like right Schiller is that the one where
1: Schiller told you that we're gonna do things differently now or yeah. whatever yeah yeah yeah, like that. I think that was when this started. Was was roughly then, you know. Yeah. That, I think that's what they meant. They're doing things differently, you know, in a few ways. But so you know that. Yeah, I and think
0: I, is... you know, and I should say, yeah, I, I, maybe I, I overemphasized the cyclical nature of Apple. We've really only had two releases that follow the current cycle of a June announcement and an October debut.
1: Right. iOS has been more consistent because because the phone schedule has been pretty much the same. I mean, you know, it shifted from June yeah. to September or whatever, but otherwise it's been pretty much the same. Yeah, beginning uh, of summer to end of summer. Right, exactly. But yeah, overall, you know, iPhone has been consistent. Uh, it's only really Mac that has become inconsistent recently. Right. Or, right. or that has that is that is now consistent, rather.
0: Yeah, and it used to be annual in the early years because it was so bad and yeah. needed so much improvement. <laughs> well, it you was know? young.
1: Yeah. You know? like now it like... I don't see as a Mac user. I don't really see a lot of value in revving the the main OS I use for all of my work uh, frequently. Like I don't see the point. Like the only reason I got Yosemite when I did was because I bought a new computer that came with it. Uh, I would have waited probably until like a point two most likely before I installed it. Uh, I never installed it on my old computer. I, I only I only got it because the new computer came with it and can't be downgraded. Uh, and Because, like, I'm very risk-averse with my work computer. Right. Like, if I'm in the middle of a project, which I almost always am, I will put off any updates. Even, even like, an X.2 or X.3, like, I'll put that off until I'm, like, done editing the podcast for the week, just in case something bad happens. You know, something like that.
0: Yeah, my way has always been to have a computer at my desk that's my, quote, main computer. That's the the iMac 5K. I'll keep that at a conservative pace and then have a laptop that that I don't really give two craps about if it, it not that I don't care about it, but that I don't care if it gets buggy right. that I'll, yeah. that I'll install developer betas on.
1: Yeah. My laptop actually runs the, like the it's, it's on the Yosemite beta chain, like through the app store. So, yeah, like, so am I. it's currently on, on ten ten two or whatever it is. Currently. Yeah. And
0: I regret it terribly.
1: My actually, that actually, I mean, I hardly use that computer, but that's actually not been a problem for me.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, there's one particular bug that really it's driving me nuts. The dictionary, and I don't even know how universal it is, but for me at least, you know, the dictionary lookup feature where you can do, uh, I've changed my shortcut. I think the standard one might be control command D.
1: Oh, I, I, I always forget that. I still launch the dictionary app from Spotlight every time or, or from launch
0: bar. You know, this is a cool shortcut. You can triple tap on the trackpad over a word, not click, tap. Right, right. Triple tap and you get an inline dictionary lookup of whatever word you want. You use it all the time. That's it crazy. Cra- it crashes Mars Edit. It it doesn't <laughs> crash BB Edit, but in BB Edit it leaves the yellow highlighted thing of the word. On screen.
1: Oh, that's weird. It's
0: something changed between ten one and ten two with third party apps in the dictionary lookup, and I do it all the time. And I know I I know it's going to crash, but I don't think about it. I think I got to look. Did I spell this right? Triple tap it. Boom. Now all the apps I use are like Mars Edit and BB Edit. They all auto save everything, so I don't lose data. But it's still an annoyance.
1: Yeah, and it's just this is the problem. There's so many little things like that. Yeah. I mean, but it's a beta, so
0: I'm not complaining. Yeah, about it. Anyway, no, uh, yeah, obviously.
1: Here's the here's the
0: historical schedule for Mac OS 10. So 10.0 came out in early 2001. And, and that was, barely even counts. It was a heap and pile of shit. And then 10.1 came out in July um, later the same year. Uh went, just from March to July they came out with a with a major version of Mac OS 10. Um 10.2 was May 2002. 10.3 was June 2003. These are announcement dates, not release dates. I guess I should do release dates. Uh, then we waited like a, almost two years for 10.4 Tiger, which is really where I feel like they tied it off and were like, "Okay, we're done with like the early years of macOS 10."
1: Yeah, I came in with Tiger. With even went all the way to.
0: Tiger went all the way to 10.4.11, which I think is the highest they ever got. Yeah, it's the highest they ever got. 10.6 didn't get that high? No, 10.6 only went to 10.6.8. Oh. But there was, Wikipedia lists a 10.6.8 v1.1, which is some kind of weird patch. (laughs) Um, But that's where they switched to like two years. And in fact, 10.5 didn't come out until. October 26 2007 that's the one where that they, was the delayed uh, one the delayed one so yeah. it was about two and a half years
1: um and that was a really stable time by the way
0: uh, it's this I think is the high water mark that uh, you know and again like as Jalkit had, had a web po- uh, weblog post in response to your thing you know don't 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 use too much you know two glasses yeah rose-colored glasses yeah, yeah. exactly don't have too strong a prescription in your rose-colored
1: glasses that, right like all the people and, who allegedly like webOS but,
0: you know, I do think there's something to, you know, the, it being a high-water mark, this era, a high-water mark for stability system-wide.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, and everybody glorifies 10.6 also, uh, because that was the famous one that they said, no new features. We're just going to, like, you know, work on the work on the under-the-hood stuff. Right. And it was successful. It, it, it was—that brought in tons of modern stuff. That brought in Grand Central Dispatch, among other things. And- it included,
0: though—included in the fact that it had no new features is it was two years after— 105 leopard came out so it was yeah. two years since the release it was this is you know it was released in 2009 um, this is interesting it was announced in June 2008 but didn't get released until August 2009 I don't remember that do you remember it being a year in beta
1: no but it doesn't matter
0: well I don't know if it's on Wikipedia it's got to be true of course um but it was two years and it had no new features and it was two years until we got lion So there was like this four-year period. And again, no new features is kind of bullshit. I mean, like adding Grand Central Dispatch, it's not a feature because it's not like a thing that they can put in a commercial. But it's clearly, you know, a huge feature. It's just a behind-the-scenes developer feature. Um, But that's like a four-year period where they didn't really have a lot of user-facing features added and is widely viewed, and I think accurately so, as sort of the high-water mark of, of stability.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, part of that could be rose-colored glasses, but I, I think there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah,
0: we might see something like that soon, though. Like you said, they're going through transitions now, and, it's you know, iCloud is certainly one of them. I think the other transition they're going through is this general idea of iOS and Mac being siblings. Right. Like, like uh, you know, it, it tied together. The best example of that, best example, has got to be the iWork the new versions of all the iWork apps where now they're saying these are the exact same file formats between the two, even if that means that the Mac version is going to lose a bunch of cool features. You know, right. and eventually, presumably they're going to get them get those features back, but then we'll have them on both platforms. We'll have, you know, nice kerning for fonts on iOS in addition to to Mac. And that's a perfect example. But they're doing that in little ways in, in a bunch of apps.
1: Right, and and a lot of a lot of the underlying frameworks are also being unified. A lot of the underlying API stuff, the SDKs, a lot of that has been unified in the last couple of releases. Um, they've both gone through the major visual redesigns, uh, more so on iOS, but but still, you know Yosemite has no no slouch in that department. So. Right. Like, they have gone through a lot in the last couple of years,
0: and I don't expect either of those things to happen again anytime soon either. I think we're at least five, six, seven years from either OS getting a major visual refresh right other you know just an annual tightening up.
1: yeah, Swift gives me a little bit of pause because you know right now like like Swift was announced, nothing written inside of Apple was using Swift yet. And none of the frameworks use Swift natively. None of them are written in Swift natively, at least not as of last year. Um, so, you know, introducing a whole new programming language that certainly begs for for a lot of things to be rewritten in it, um, that might be a major thing that is potentially a, a burden or a distraction on the engineering teams. I, I also question whether that is what they should be doing with their time. <laughs> but uh, in general, though, I think uh, they the next couple releases have very good reason to be less ambitious and and more stable.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Uh, before we move on and talk about that MacBook thing, the other thought I had is that a lot of the complaints that I've seen with regard to these little nagging, eh, it's supposed to just work, but it doesn't just work. A lot of it has to do with wireless networking and stuff that's supposed to happen between two devices. Like for me in particular, AirDrop is amazing. AirDrop works absolutely great and I use it all the time. Like where I'm on the phone and I have, oh, I want to link to this from daring fireball and instead of doing what I used to do with like send it to pinboard or something right, and right. then go to my Mac and get it, I just AirDrop it to my Mac as soon as my Mac wakes up and it boom, it's there and it's it, it, there's nothing to clean up. I don't have to erase or let languish forever an old pinboard Bookmark that I really just wanted to shuffle between the two. Um, It's great. But I've heard from people who say AirDrop never works for them. Um, But anyway, what gives me pause is that a lot of these things are these little nagging two things that are supposed to talk to each other over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or whatever don't really quite work the way they're supposed to, is that is the entire description of Apple Watch, right? It's Like the sort of things that don't just work are the only things Apple Watch exists for. There's nothing else. There is Other than telling time, there's nothing else the thing does other than these little wireless interactions sort of dancing all day long with
1: other devices. I, I even thought earlier, like, you can't even sync Apple Watch with a cable. No. Like, there's no ports on it. It can only charge. Everything else is wireless. So, like... I You know, this stuff has to be... solved. One thing, though, the Apple Watch, it it can go either way. I think you can look at it from one side and you can say, well, this is going to be a brand new 1.0 of everything. And it's going to be potentially a huge drain on engineering resources at Apple and focus from Apple, which could bode very poorly for their quality going forward. Or you can look at it as maybe the Apple Watch will take some of the marketing burden for a while... And let them be a little more boring with the with iOS and OS ten,
0: and pour enormous resources into things like getting the blue code Bluetooth stack in really tip top shape.
1: Right, like so. I, I think this could this this is a wild card. I, you know, I, I think the watch. I don't. Th- I mean, I, again, this I could be wrong. I don't think the watch is going to require a massive amount of engineering of software engineering. Uh it simply can't do that much yet. The hardware is very simple. You know, it, it uh, you know, relative to the to all the things iOS does, for instance, all the things Mac OS ten does, I don't think it's gonna require massive engineering resources to, to get it through its first you know, couple of years. Uh again, that could be totally wrong, I don't know. Uh but just as a relative thing, I think it's probably a much smaller project. Um but it will and, and I also don't know how well it's going to sell. You know, it, it could end up being you know, just like new iPods, basically. Like it could just be like, it could disappoint a lot of analysts. It could disappoint Apple. It could sell, you know, uh, a few million here or there. You know, but but not set the world on fire and not be ubiquitous among Apple people. Or it could set the world on fire and it could sell tremendously. And it could like we have no idea how it's going to sell yet. And I think that that might determine some of its some of the company's future priorities and direction.
0: I think the single single I think it's if it works as advertised it's going to sell very well and I think the single thing that could sink it would be if it comes out in the next month or two two months whenever it's supposed to come out and there's a bunch of little nagging bugs with the interactivity with your iPhone and you know your text messages are supposed to be showing up on your wrist and they don't or it's not supposed to drain your battery but when you sync, you know, when you have an i, iP- you, you know, you put your Apple Watch on, and your phone, which used to typically get you through the whole day, is in the red by noon. That's gonna, that would be a huge problem because I, it, it, it's not that they can't fix those bugs. It's that the perception will hit while it's young that the thing doesn't work like it's supposed to, and that sort of thing is very, very hard to shake.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, like, like if it becomes part of people's tech superstitions to like, oh, you better. Like only turn on Bluetooth when you're doing something with the watch, and turn Bluetooth off on your phone to save your battery. Like yeah, If exactly. that kind of stuff starts getting into like the the culture as as common wisdom. You know, it could it could become the next quit all your apps thing, where it's that's, actively that, harmful.
0: That's why I wrote when I linked to your thing that it's the perception. Like to me, the biggest problem with this trend and the resonation that your post got is that it's it, by Apple leaving these things. You know, like as you put it, you know, leaving some ground at the functional, leaving some of the area at the functional high ground, whatever you <laughs> hell you call yeah. it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, not my best title ever. Although I don't, I I disagree with your analysis that you have to lose the high ground to someone else. I think you can lose, like, because if you think about the moral high ground, you can lose the moral high ground without someone else becoming better than you at it. You can just become worse at it yourself
0: yeah I I know what you mean it's not quite it, it it's not quite fair that I said it's that you have to lose it to him I do think it's an important point I worry though that the fact that he, that I thought that way uh, it occurred to me later rethinking that that it could be a worrisome sign that if Apple people inside Apple see it the same way well who did we lose it to that you're blind to a problem right and what I did see though right away is that it's that to me is already a problem. And is the fact that so many people seem to agree with you is a problem. And it's the perception because, and it doesn't matter whether we're overreacting or whether most people are, if it, if that becomes their perception, it's hard for Apple to shake that they can fix the bugs. They can significantly improve the quality of their platforms across the board. And people won't notice because there's this perception that the stuff doesn't work right.
1: And and there's a lot of reasons why that perception is reasonable. If if you look at uh you know the, the various issues people have had applying iOS updates over the last couple of years, uh, if you look at how iOS updates have performed on old hardware over the last couple of years, a lot of people are understandably wary. They've gotten burned before, and and they like now they're like, well, I don't want to install the new update because I heard it broke some people's phones, or it broke right. my phone, or it made my phone really slow.
0: Well, the one that they pushed, it was bad because there's always going to be bugs and there's always going to be, there's always going to be weird, you know, who knows, like a freaking ion from outer space hits your phone the wrong way and corrupts some part of the OS, you know, and if something in the flash memory gets corrupted uh, and a software update bricks your phone and doesn't brick your wife's phone. Well, you know, one in a one in ten thousand gets bricked by an update. Well, those sort of bugs happen. They suck, but they happen. You can't say you can never do that. But you, I think it's fair to say you can never push out an over-the-air update that bricks every phone that takes it. Right. Like that just is. That was just an inexcusable slip, and creates again this perception that when you see when your phone tells you, "Hey, there's a new iOS," you should not be worried. You shouldn't think, "Oh God." You know, I know some people who don't, you know, who just keep that red badge on, you know, the settings app because they don't want to install it.
1: Oh, yeah. My, my mom's phone is still running iOS 6 because it's, when iOS 7 came out, she saw on the news about the motion sickness and she got scared and she refused to install iOS 7. She's never even seen it.
0: All right. So she's just got a red badge on her settings on her. Yeah, settings for the app. last two years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She'll get it when she gets a new phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I think that perception is important. And, you know, I'll, I'll relate it to the Newton. And I know it was a very different Apple in the 90s. And they were so small. And, you know, something like the Newton appealed to so few people. But it was mainstream enough, you know, that it, everybody cites the Doonesbury um, cartoon that made fun of it. And uh, the Simpsons made fun of it, too. So, I mean, it was popular enough that it was grist for Simpsons gags. Um it got that stink on it that the handwriting recognition doesn't work so that you could make Doonesbury and Simpsons gags about it. It didn't take that long, though, before the handwriting got pretty darn good on, you know, like the, the message pad 2000. It was pretty, it was about as good as you could hope that, like, a 1995, 1996 computer could recognize your handwriting. It was really pretty good. Nobody really got, everybody, you'd say Newton, they'd say goofy, terrible handwriting recognition.
1: Right, well, most of them also had never tried one.
0: No, but if if Apple Watch comes out and in the first year it seems like none of the stuff it's supposed to do works reliably, uh, that would be hard to shake even if they fix it. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's really important that it, uh, that it does everything it's supposed to do pretty well. And again, that sounds like a stupid thing to say. It sounds like, well, everything you should do what it's supposed to do pretty well. But like with a new product, it's essential because the first impression is so much, it, it informs you know a decade of what you're gonna think of it. Like the first iPhone, it was so important that it really was an amazing device. It really couldn't be a bad device.
1: And, there, and there's a substantial number of people both just who can't wait for Apple to fail so they can talk about it and make fun of it and, and point it out and laugh and also a lot of people who are going to be looking for a reason are going to be looking for a reason for apple, you know, not to to fail somehow. They like, yes. they're like waiting for apple to fail. And there's also going to be a lot of people out there who are, who are looking for reasons why they don't need to care about the Apple Watch. They're looking for an excuse not to buy it. They're looking for a way to a reason to rule it out in their in their head as irrelevant, fail, move on. And so any ammo that that is provided to that is going to get amplified like crazy, uh, and and you know they have to be very careful not to give much ammo to that. You know there's going to be some kind of gate with everything right. Apple launches now. <laughs> every stupid gate that comes out every time there's a new iPhone. Like there there's going to be some kind of watch gate, and uh, and they have to make sure that it's something that's you know reasonably stupid like bend gate. And not something serious.
0: Right. Well, you know. Yeah. Imagine if it's a real thing. Like if Ben Gate got as much publicity as it did, and it was mostly nonsense, and Antenna Gate got the enormous publicity it got, and was in the long run mostly nonsense. uh, Imagine a real problem. You know, like you know, you're supposed to be able to hold the button and dictate your, you know texts to your watch and and if instead you just get a spinner that spins and spins and spins and you never get your text that's a problem
1: right exactly and so like these quality things are extremely you know this is like like when i've been critical of of their developer policies recently one of the things i've said is like this is strategically a very bad time to have problems in this area because the watch is coming out and and when the watch is coming out you need the quality of everything that's that's powering it on the phone side all you know everything that's supplying it with the data the bluetooth stuff as you said like you need the quality of that to be tip top so that way the watch can at least focus on its own like you know those teams can rely on that and then the watch can have this solid foundation under it and you also need developers who are uh empowered and willing and happy to be developing apps for this platform and that that are going to push the boundaries and make cool apps for it
0: so, two things that Mark Gurman reported, uh, I think on the same day this week, but he reported first about that, this, you know, showing mock ups of a 12 inch MacBook Air. But he also said the date that it, Apple's planning for a March release date of Apple Watch. Did that, I, that surprised me a little, if it's true?
1: That sounded late to me. I, cause oh,
0: really? I thought that sounded early. I really expected uh, like April or May.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I, you know, we, I think we heard rumblings a couple of weeks ago that it would be like February but it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, it'll come out when it's out. I, I would rather have it come out when it's, when it's better than come out when it's not quite ready yet. So, yeah. uh, so that's fine. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I, you know, I,
0: I, I guess it's just the pessimist in me. They say early to 2015. I hear before
1: June. Yeah. You see, you hear May 31st. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, whereas I guess the more honest way of looking at it is early is first quarter. I don't know. So maybe it will. I'm a little surprised by that. Um, it also makes me wonder whether I should be on my feet for an Apple event, you know, sooner rather than later.
1: I mean, I think an Apple event is is fair game anytime. Like I mean, I, I wouldn't expect it like next week, but I would you know, if it if there was an event in February with availability a couple of weeks later, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, me
0: neither. Um so German's other story is this Blockbuster 12 inch MacBook Air. Um, yeah, with one port. With one port, which is so crazy that I think it's probably true. Yeah, well, because, two with the headphone, but that doesn't really count. Right. And I at the, it's I thought Snell's reaction was perfect, where he was just like, ah, that's crazy. Well, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like... If if you would have if we would I don't remember if the first MacBook Air had any rumors leads I don't think it did.
0: No, it was it was a total surprise. Yeah, I th- as I recall, I recall it being like a holy shit! I cannot believe that.
1: Right, exactly. I think you're right. So anyway,
0: and I think the slogan I think it was at I think it was at WWDC. I just remember there's something that said there's something in the air.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like I like if you if we would have heard rumors about that beforehand. And we would have heard crazy things like, because that what that was also was that the first one that didn't have an optical drive. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, cause, yeah, because they launched the external one with it. Yeah, because so,
0: everybody among the many, no, how can they do this? It's impossible. It's like, how
1: can they ship a thing with? How are you going to install the OS? Right. So, so you know, they shipped this 3.0 pound right uh, laptop. At the time when everything else was 5.5 pounds, they shipped this 3.0 pound laptop that fit in a mailing envelope and was super thin and had this like sharp edge in the front and had no optical drive and sometimes no hard drive, one USB port. Like it was it was so it it, it was so much smaller they had to make a separate power adapter for it that even the power adapter was smaller. Even the plug on the end of it was different shape to fit the beveled edge. You had this door that the ports folded out from this door. I mean, it, there was so much about it that if you would have heard it ahead of time, and even when it did come out, everyone was like, "That's crazy."
0: It was uh, January two thousand eight. It was Mac World Expo.
1: There you go. All right, yeah. So it, it was the it was year, the year after, yeah.
0: the year after the iPhone introduction at Mac World. It was, it was a big, another big introduction at Mac World.
1: Yeah, I have to go back and rewatch that and, and try to like gauge the reaction because like. And I actually I had one of those. Uh, David at Tumblr got me one of those as a bonus because uh, I I had mentioned how I wanted a, a lighter laptop, and it was very nice of him. So I have one of those, and and it was ungodly slow. I mean, because I you know I had the hard drive model, so it was like it was, uh, you know, this one oh. point eight inch iPod hard drive in there. Because the the SSD option was a thousand dollars more and sixty four gigs, or you can get the the iPod hard drive, which was eighty gigs, which is what I got.
0: I remember and, Shipley got Shipley got the SSD version, and it was like, I know it sounds crazy, but it's a great development machine because SSDs are so great for development because you're dealing with you know hundreds of tiny little files.
1: Yeah, and in 2008 when this thing came out, that like SSDs were extremely rare. That it was one of the first yeah. computers to even offer it as an option. Uh, I don't think it was the first, but it was one of the first. And and so like that machine when it came out had all these crazy limitations. And a lot of flaws. I mean, like like the CPU. We talked about a little bit on ATP. Like the CPU on, on a lot of them would th- would overheat and throttle. So like you couldn't watch YouTube videos. Like you 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 couldn't play Flash video for more than a few seconds before it started dropping frames because the CPU was overheating and throttling. I actually on mine, I ran an underclocking utility that would underclock and undervolt the chip to keep it running cooler so that way it it could sustain its its peak usage for for enough time to to play videos smoothly. Wow. But like it was, it it was a crazy machine. It was way ahead of its time, and in many ways that was a bad thing. It made it you know the performance was just dismal. Um, it was extremely inconvenient to move files to it because it only had uh, it had 802.11g or I think it was the draft n wireless. So like you know wireless was still a lot slower back then, and it only had a, a, a single USB 2.0 port. No FireWire. No Thunderbolt uh usb 2 and you you could like you could send files to it over wireless which would take forever or you could get the wired ethernet adapter the usb one that was only 10 100 and ran over usb 2 and usb 2 is a horrible protocol (laughs) and and so like transferring files to it would just take hours it like if you wanted to like put a bunch of like movies on when you're going on a big trip or something it would just take hours it was unbearable to use in many contexts but what was so new about it being so incredibly thin and light, mostly light, the thinness was kind of a, a nice bonus, but it was mostly the weight being so radically much smaller than everything else, that was so good that this machine was quite compelling for a lot of people. It it, it was not good enough to be your only computer for most people. And Some people pulled it off, but it, for the most part, it wasn't going to be your only one.
0: Right, because it only had 64 gigs of storage, right, you,
1: or or 80 if you had the the, the beautifully slow one, right. Um, so you know it at it a time was,
0: when you had a lot less cloud storage,
1: yeah. You know. Yeah, like like you had to keep a lot more. You had to keep everything you had locally. Like there was there was no such thing as like oh I, I'm gonna keep everything I have on Dropbox and only sync this one little folder over, or I'm gonna keep everything on. You know the, I don't think iTunes Match was out yet. Like there no it, no, it no, was it, it was a much worse time to have very limited storage, <laughs> and right. uh, and and so but it, but you know people made it work and it wasn't it wasn't overall a great machine, but it was really compelling in a few key areas. So now, bring it forward, and and you know, the, in 2010, they made the better MacBook Airs, and SSD started getting bigger and cheaper, and they went all SSD, and, and the, the 2010 and forward MacBook Airs are far better machines, but uh, and and now like, like they pointed out on uh, Connected well, I'd, this I'd, week,
0: I don't even think it's I don't even think there's any argument that for most people who it's the most popular Mac Apple sells, and for most people, it's their only Mac.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if if you if someone comes to me and says, "What Mac should I buy?" and they and they don't give me any other information, if 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 they if I need to have a no questions asked answer to that, the answer is a 13 inch MacBook Air. Yep, like yeah. that's it. That's the answer. That's, no, you, that's the. I interrupted
0: default. you. You said something about the connected.
1: Yeah, so they mentioned this on this week. Um, they were saying, pointing out how like you know the MacBook Air used to be this high end. It, it, it started out it was eighteen hundred or sixteen hundred dollars. It, it it was priced above the other above the thirteen inch MacBook. Yep. And and it was it was a premium product to be slower and smaller <laughs> and everything. But yeah, it, it, was, it was so much more portable. It was like uh,
0: getting a little convertible coupe.
1: Exactly. It perfect perfect analogy. Yeah. And so yeah, like it probably shouldn't be your family sedan, but <laughs> but but you know, it, it is is a fun like little, you know, little portable and and so like the original MacBook Air was this premium thing that sat above the rest of the line, uh, relative to its size.
0: Yeah, imagine for like business travelers who you know do a lot of typing on you know coach seats on right. an airplane. It was you know I hate to say it, it's such a cliche. It was a game changer.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and for those of, for those that got the SSD, I think it was like thirty four hundred dollars. It was some some crazy <laughs> amount of money, but uh, but you know, so so it was this this premium, awesome sports coupe kind of thing since then, as they pointed out on unconnected, it has actually become the bottom of the line. like it it is filtered down Now, like there is no regular MacBook anymore, or there's that there's that one model left over that, that they bury on the site. But for the most part, like the bottom of of the Mac line is the MacBook air. And so this, if you think about this crazy new one port rumor that that German had with the 12 inch being this like crazy new premium thing, if you think about that not as a replacement, to the 11-inch MacBook Air that exists today. But if you think about it in more of the style that the original was relative to its siblings in the lineup, this kind of mid-range or like this mid-price thing, probably, you know, $1,500 range type thing or, or maybe a little bit more. We'll see, we'll see how, how it specs out. But, you know, think about it as like a, not the low end of the lineup, but a mid-range of the lineup that in some ways is more limited and worse than the MacBook Airs that we know today. Possibly by by having this one port, or by if it uses any of these uh, new Intel Broadwell core M slower. processors, it'll be a lot slower. It'll it'll be roughly iPad speed, uh, which is not slow by you know absolute terms for the most part, but relative to the other CPUs, it's you know it, it's not going to be in the same class. It's,
0: it's always a moment when a next generation machine adds slower than what came before.
1: Exactly, I mean, and
0: there might be good reasons for it, but it still is not the way the industry works.
1: Right, you and don't... and the first MacBook Air was a was a big example of that, and that, and it got trashed initially. Like I remember when MacWorld first reviewed it, I think it was Jason who wrote it. When they first reviewed it, they were like, "This is like the slowest Mac we've tested in, in a while." <laughs> like, and it was it was the slowest one in the whole lineup at the time. And uh, but anyway, if we think about it in that context, as maybe it's something like that, I think it, it that leaves room for it to suck in a few ways. That leaves room for it to be limited in a few ways. For it to say, "This is going to be a, a niche." Premium thing that's going to extremely prioritize certain physical factors in exchange for you know extreme something extreme portability maybe extreme battery life probably not I'm I'm actually guessing the battery life is going to be mediocre on it um, but you know it's going to prioritize thinness and lightness and size it seems if the, above if these, all else it, right. exactly above all else including battery life it's going to
0: make your existing MacBook Air feel thick and heavy
1: exactly the same way the original MacBook Air made even the 13 inch MacBook feel just like a, like a brick, like it, you know, it, if they can pull that off, it's going to be really interesting. I, I do have a, a slight concern in this area that I, I do think, you know, the, 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 you certainly have to some degree, you have diminishing returns here. Uh, when, when the original MacBook air came out, it was like half the weight, uh, or close to it of, of the 13 inch MacBook at the time. uh, how how much lighter can it get while still having a keyboard, a screen, a battery of some kind, a an aluminum case around the whole thing? Like, I don't think they're going to be able to nail half the weight. Like, I don't think – it probably can't go that low. And we're already talking – these are already very thin and light computers as they are today. So to make it even thinner, even lighter for something that is not handheld – like, it matters more in an iPad or an iPhone because it's handheld – for something that's on a desk or a lap most of the time, or a tray table, the weight is, you know, it matters to a point. But like, if the if the computer goes from, I mean, what the kernel eleven is what like 2.2, 2.5, something like that pounds.
0: Yeah, I'm bad at remembering what they are.
1: It's something just, like that. Like I know what it, I know what it feels like.
0: I don't know what the number is.
1: Right, but like if it goes from two point five pounds to one point eight pounds, or if it goes from two point two to one point five, like. That's a big difference on paper it's a big percentage difference, but it like your whole bag weighs like fifteen pounds even like a backpack empty weighs more than that usually right. and so like you know you might not even notice the weight difference so I do worry they might be prioritizing thinness and and extreme lightness a little bit too much in this case if it me if it'll come at the expense of battery life. Because I think this is the kind of machine that... The, the battery life on the current MacBook Airs is good. It's not... It doesn't... It isn't to use a term that used to be uh, a verb and is now an adjective thanks to Apple. It isn't blow-away. <laughs> but it's good. They're good. Like, you know... When they came out, they were impressive, but you know, time has moved on. That's now that's not the baseline.
0: Yeah, all all modern MacBooks have amazing battery life compared to the old days, where it was stuck at like three to four hours. Exactly of effective battery life, no matter what, no matter which one you bought, no matter what you did, you know, turn the screen dimness down. Right. And, you know, three to four hours is about what you could get,
1: and it would lose about an hour per year of age too
0: yeah pretty quickly yeah, i just do that if, anymore as any as a coaster i just always knew you could never really go coast to coast even with a new machine. right exactly you know you kind of you know if you're going to work on an airplane while you flew to san francisco from the east coast get your work done because you're not gonna you know it's gonna die
1: with an hour to go exactly and and like today if you're using a laptop if, if you're doing like you know medium medium lifting on it throughout the day uh it can almost, but generally not, run all day on battery. Hmm. Like, it, it, right. they say, like, you know, oh, you have all day battery. life. well, it depends on what you're doing with it.
0: Yeah, uh, and if and if you leave your house with a solid charge, you can watch movies on the whole flight, no problem.
1: Right. But, and, but you know, the question is, like, you know, if you have, a, a, you know, a 40-minute layover somewhere, do you have to plug it in? Or is it just kind of optional whether you plug it in? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Anyway, so... I think they if they're using this this super low power you know fanless Broadwell chip that uses, I forget what the wattage is on it, but it's very low, like 10 watts or something like that. Um, they could if, if they put in a similar size battery to the current MacBook airs, that could be a very substantial battery life. Uh, but they might instead choose to just keep keep roughly you know what's the 11 inch today, like roughly like five hour life, something like that in, in real use. Something like uh, that? I would say more than that, I think. 6, 7? I don't know. Whatever old, it is.
0: Mine's old, so it's hard to say. But I, right.
1: it's pretty pretty good. Whatever it is. Like, the 11 is worse than the 13 uh, by by a pretty good margin, because the 13 just has a much bigger battery. But um, it wouldn't surprise me at all, given what they've done with iOS devices, with the, with the with the iPhone 6 and with the iPad Air 2 and Air 1. I wonder how much, if
0: again, this is a huge if, but if it's true that it really only has this one port, I wonder how much that is about cost and how much it is about using whatever space is left for battery you know that it's not so much that it would cost too much to add a second usb port but that it's really 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 intensive to save space
1: i would guess it's about two things neither of which are very good answers i would guess it's about symmetry having one port on each side and about thinness that if germans scoop is correct then it still retains the wedge teardrop shape. So it still is thicker at the back than it is at the front. And and if his thickness claims are accurate, then there actually is not much room for more than the ports that it has thickness-wise. Right. And also, I would not I would not discount the value of symmetry. I think symmetry is the reason why, on the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, why the sleep-wake button is directly across from the volume-up button, even though it makes it way harder to hit just one of them.
0: Right and it's the same size.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I would definitely not discount that as as a possible reason why it would only be one port. Also, just you know, electrically, like if a computer has a USB port and a firewire port, those specs each demand that the port be able to supply at least x amps of current through it, you know, at at most to supply a device with power. So the more ports it has on it, the higher the total power output for that computer has to be able to to have capacity for
0: somebody on twitter pointed out and i'm so sorry i forgot your name but um that if it had two, even just two usb ports and they were both USB C, and it might have to be USB C because i think i think the device is too thin to have a traditional usb port yeah i think you're right i think the the minimal size of a usb3 port is thick enough that it it would be a gating factor to make the overall device this thin so it has to be the new usb but if it had two And you can, and they're going to use it for supplying power to the machine. You couldn't risk having two power adapters plugged in at the same time. That, I I don't know if that's true or not, that it would, you know, like break the machine or something. And conversely, how do you tell people you can use this one for power and this one, which is the same port. It's exactly the same size. It can take every, every other thing you can plug in the other one, but that one won't take a charger.
1: Right in, in the PC world, they would just color one of them like blue or something and say, "Well, just plug in the blue one." But they, you know, Apple won't do anything like that.
0: Right, and um, it would just lead to confusion because maybe you're running on battery power and you've got a mouse plugged in one and a hard drive in the other. But now you need power, so you think, "Well, I'll unplug the mouse." Oh. But I plugged the mouse in the other one <laughs> and the hard drive, which I can't unmount because I'm still copying files to it, is in the power one. It doesn't, right. it just doesn't, you
1: know. Yeah, that, that's the kind of inelegant solution Apple is very unlikely to, to do. It actually
0: makes some sense that if you're going to use USB for power and you can only have power plugged into one port, therefore you can
1: only have one port. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I would expect. Uh, I'm I'm guessing like the more I think about it, the one port thing actually sounds plausible, and the more I learn about USB 3C, um, the, these new C ports are are extremely versatile, and, and I don't know the the extreme details yet, but they like they design this spec so that the port can carry power uh, seemingly in either direction, like like the you could have a computer that powers the monitor and drives a display. So you can also route display signals over it and you can route high bandwidth buses over it and everything. It's it's crazy how much you, this thing can do. Um, we'll see how it how it works out in practice, but um like it, it's designed such that you could have just this one cable running from a monitor into a PC and have the PC both power the monitor and show the display signal over this one little cable. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy.
0: You know, and in terms of like skating to where the puck is going, which is what the map air was at its beginning so the, right. the original macbook said no optical drives and now this one says no more sd cards port and no usb port extra usb port where you could plug one in um well guess what i think sd cards are going away the, the dodo and that your photos are going to travel over the air between devices right and, and of course we're not there yet and if you're the more serious a photographer you are you know, the less doable that is. But more and more regular people are shooting all of their photos with their phones and iPads. And they're, you know, in the Apple universe, will therefore be using iCloud Photo Sync. And that's how your photos will get to your Mac. And a lot of consumer cameras have Wi Fi now, and you can transfer photos that way.
1: Right. So I think. I, I think you're right. that This this computer, you know, if, again, if this was real, which I, it seems increasingly plausible, um, if this was real, I think this, this is a forward-looking computer, aggressively so, just like the first era, as you said. They, they couldn't go, you know, basically portless. They couldn't go portless on the whole lineup yet, but they can have one weird outlier that is really good in some other way, most likely thinness and weight, Uh, they couldn't have this one crazy outlier that is awesome at this, at this like one aspect of itself and gives up a lot to get there.
0: I think it's true too. And let's, you know, German's report and I believe it, um, I mean, it could be details are off, but I mostly believe it, but he seems very sure about it. And I think he attributed the source to someone with an Apple who's used one, or at least, you know, like used the current prototype. Yeah. And then the source told him everything about it. And then he gave that to an artist who made those renderings. Um, so, you know, there's some, uh, pass it down the alleyway, you know, stuff that was probably not quite right in terms of, you know, the degree of tapering or some stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't German who said anything about what chip is in it, you know, whether it's this new M chip or anything like that. It German's report was just what the thing looks like,
1: right? And we don't like Intel did just release a Broadwell series chip that is fanless or that can run fanless. That it just uses so, it uses so little power that it can run fanless. Did
0: German say that it's fanless?
1: No, I see. I I think everyone's guessing that it is probably fanless. I don't think he actually said it is. And you know the the, the way CPU cooling works. Um, you can, like, it, you know, all the current MacBooks have fans. Most of the time, most people won't hear them, especially the newer ones are even better. Uh, they're even quieter, but uh, the, uh, the Retina series, but, um, you can, like, you can have something that's totally fanless like an iPad and have it, have it basically just use the chassis as a giant heatsink, and, you know, just basically radiate here you know through contact like radiate heat into the exterior shell or some interior thing that you know touches the shell eventually um if you have a little heat sink and you have any air moving it at all even even if you have the slowest quietest fan that most people don't even realize is there like the original apple tv had a fan most people don't even know that um even if you have the the tiniest little fan in there blowing the slowest speed it can, it can possibly can Barely moving any air over it, that cools way better than any kind of passive cooling. Like the slightest bit of air movement is substantially better, and you can you can dissipate a lot more heat that way. So
0: it reminds me of the, the world's tiniest violin playing the world's smallest song, <laughs> the world's tiniest fan yeah. blowing the world's
1: smallest amount of air. Yeah, like it makes a huge difference, and and that gives you a much higher thermal budget. And modern processors are pretty much all limited by their thermal budgets like their their performance is gated by that factor so it they don't have to use a fanless chip in this if they if they don't want to they still could if they wanted to i think they can fit a fan in there i think they like well if the surface has the reason.
0: surface has a fan the surface pro does at least yeah and it's, the surface, it's really thin right it's well it's certainly thinner than uh i i think it's I'm not quite as sure if it's as thin as this MacBook is because the surface thinness doesn't have it doesn't have a hinge right. but
1: although I think it has ports somewhere, so right. I, it probably isn't this thin, but it's probably in the ballpark and and uh, so yeah, like I, I think they could put a fan in there if they want to. They could be using a CPU that that has that is like, the same class as the existing MacBook Air CPUs of like that that class of performance. Because right. those
0: so are fans. German's report does say above the keyboard are four redesigned speaker grills that actually double as ventilation holes for the fanless device to keep cool. So German says it's fanless, but we we shall see. Um I think you're right. I'm with you and I I think that these Verge guys are just misreading the whole thing. When they they're, they're saying that it's like a, a, a low-end device that will compete with Chromebooks.
1: Not a chance.
0: I think it's going to be more expensive. And I think, therefore, just like when they introduced the Retina MacBook Pros and they kept non-Retina ones around to anchor the low end of the pricing tier. I mean, you could still buy non-Retina MacBook Pros. You know, I think they started. I think they're only like ten, like a thousand bucks. I think you can get like a thirteen inch. Yeah, MacBook I think there's Pro.
1: one. Like, that's what like, like there's like one buried in the store that's like eleven like $1, hundred bucks. They mentioned that on connected also.
0: Yeah, so I think this will be more expensive than the current starting price for even the thirteen inch MacBook Pro. And I don't think it'll be much more. I, I think it probably start at like I don't know thirteen hundred bucks, fourteen hundred bucks, maybe. Um, and that they'll keep. I don't know if they'll keep both the eleven and thirteen but they'll keep at least the 13 around at 8.99 or maybe even drop it to
1: 7.99. Yeah, maybe. For, I don't know. For
0: the foreseeable future. I do think it would be kind of weird if they had 11, 12 and 13 on sale at the same time. Just seems like two... just that seems a little unapply. Seems like to me like maybe the 11, you know, what's the point of the 11? Is it to be 11 inches or is it to be the even, you know, the super smallest and lightest? Well, I think that this 12-inch which seems to have a, a footprint mostly like the 11 and width-wise is apparently the same width as the 11 and has a bigger screen cuz it has a smaller bezel. I I'd say there's no reason for the 11 to exist.
1: Yeah, the I, so, the 11 has such a wide bezel that it really has it has it does not make good use of its size for the screen. That you know, the keyboard makes good use of the size, the body, but like the screen like you look at that and you're like man, I wish that bezel was thinner and the screen was bigger.
0: I'm looking at it right now and it just looks ridiculous. <laughs> it looks outdated. No, it looks outdated. It looks like the laptops from when, uh, you know, I was, you know, in college and they, you know, were, were just like tiny little thing in the middle of a huge bezel that they didn't even come close to taking up the full sides of the, the display panel.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing, I'm guessing this thing is real. I'm guessing it comes out in the next couple of months, like soon, not, not June. I'm guessing this comes out like this winter. Um, possibly announced at the same event as the Apple Watch release date, I don't know.
0: And possibly the iPad Maxi.
1: I don't know. See, I'm still not entirely convinced that's a real thing or that or that it's imminent rather. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I I A lot see. of
0: people are I've seen a lot of people and I think it's just you're not thinking this through. People thinking that well, you know, remember the old Jobs trick where there was the internet communicator, a phone and a widescreen video iPad. You know, not three products. It's one product. Right. Well, there's you know a 12 inch MacBook and a 12 inch iPad and a MacBook and a Mac. Guess what? It's one device and it's an iPad and it has a keyboard and it's like no,
1: no. I definitely don't like. And I even said like I even tweeted the other day like I've I've long suspected that that the rumors are for one device, but I meant that in the sense that, like, people are misinterpreting the rumors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that, in the sense that this is a combined iPad and MacBook. Like that's, Right,
0: that Apple's out in Asia sourcing these 12-inch... Right, and, they all, and everyone thinks, oh,
1: that, that must be for a bigger iPad, but no, maybe it's also just for a smaller MacBook. Um, but I, I've, a, a few people have told me that they have solid information from rumor sources, blah, 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 that this it really is two different devices that are really separate, so fine. It doesn't really matter. But uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't. Know, I can't possibly be less excited about a, about a twelve inch iPad just from, No, even though they, that's what Syracuse wants. It is what Syracuse wants, but he also wants like Pro OS features to be added to make it, you know, better to be for multitasking and Pro work. And I, I just, I don't see a good way for that to be bolted onto iOS. I. It, it's not to say they're not going to try. They may. They might try. I don't know. But I. I think. I think these the, the MacBook Air and this new, you know, quote MacBook Stealth, whatever this new twelve inch thing is gonna be called, I think that is Apple's answer to pro ultra mobile computing. Like it's the Mac, but smaller. Yeah. Like, it's it's not trying to bolt on a bunch of pro multitasking power user features onto the iPad. Uh
0: I think what do you German doesn't say. The most curious thing to me is he doesn't mention retina display. Doesn't say it has one, doesn't say it doesn't have one, right. doesn't say. Which to me is crazy I think it has to have a retina display because I don't think you can introduce new products anymore or at least Apple can't that aren't like there's never going to be a non-retina watch the watch starts retina right everything new
1: is retina yeah I I, 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 I think it, it would have to be
0: right I mean right I, and then I think the name is obvious you just call it the MacBook Air with retina display and it does you don't even have to say that it's 12.
1: yeah that it's, makes
0: sense MacBook Air with retina display. And now it's it they can use the air name, which I think has great brand equity, and also make it very clear that it's the new thing because it's the retina display. Just like the MacBook Pro with retina display.
1: I think the um the the rumor, I don't know if it was in German's report or someone else's, but the rumor that it might come in space gray is kind of exciting.
0: Yeah, and gold.
1: That's less exciting, but the space. Well, gray. <laughs> I, know, I, I know. Well,
0: right, because I would definitely buy the the Space Gray one. If it comes in Space Gray, that would be the first thing that puts a a tinge of desire in my heart.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I'll tell you, like, like the the Mac Pro, the, the new Cylinder Mac Pro, that looks awesome in person. Like, have it because that that is basically a Space Gray color. It's I don't think it's exactly the same color as the phones, but it's very close. And it has the it has a glossy finish, so it's but it's it's in the in the ballpark. It looks so awesome in person. Like, you just feel like a badass having that on your desk. It just looks fantastic. And, and I and I definitely think the the uh, you know bead-blasted uh, aluminum look that we've had in Apple products for my entire time using Apple products, um, I, I think that is that is in many ways a timeless look that will never go fully out of style. However, it'd be nice to see something a little bit new, a little bit fresh in that area if it's possible and if it doesn't suck. So if, if they can make a space gray version of the top of it, I think it would, be, it would be a nice change of pace.
0: Yeah, and wouldn't the, the white version be lighter? Like I don't have a... A white uh, iPhone handy here, but I'm I'm thinking that like an upside down white iPhone is a lighter shade of aluminum than a
1: MacBook. I don't think that's true. Or maybe I think it's, it's the same. same. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the same. But
0: it would look different if they use white for the bezel, though.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that is true. Assuming it has like the because like you know the current MacBook Airs have the metal bezel the way the old laptops used to. If it if it adopts the like, you know, glass goes edge to edge and the bezel is like this black surround. Or, yeah, then it could be white. You're right.
0: Yeah, but Space Gray would be cool. The most inexplicable thing that Gurman's uh, renderings have, and I just don't get this, is why they have the power key where the escape key has been since forever.
1: Oh, I hope that's wrong. I really, I, I, I saw that too, and I'm like, ooh, that's, that's going to be but, annoying.
0: I can't help but think that that's just a mistake. You know, because it's their commissioning. But then again, wouldn't the mistake? Wouldn't it be easier, you know, to just use a keyboard layout that you've already had? Why? What, you know, it seems like it would be more work in Photoshop or whatever right. you use to build this to move that.
1: Well, because the and the existing eleven inch it just fine like it, it puts it above uh, backspace right above well
0: it, it by definition it would it could go on either side right? right you would just slide over all the other keys and put it in the top right where it's been forever and it's not so much that I want to hit that power key but it, that I do use the escape key and I don't want to put my MacBook to sleep when I just reach up there blindly and hit the top right mm, key
1: you know what though I just realized you know I think we are numbered here I think most people hit backspace a heck of a lot more often than they hit escape Oh, so and then maybe that's, that's why they plausible. move it. That's plausible. Oh, oh man.
0: Oh, so the explanation maybe, and then they'll move it on all the keyboards. Yeah. Oh, because
1: so you, uh, you know already, like you can't just tap it. Like you have to like hold it down for a second.
0: Yeah. Same thing. I've with, never like, thought of like, that.
1: But yeah, now like now when I mean, you're looking at a keyboard, you're looking at where it is in the 11 inch. Now it's above backspace or delete, rather. Sorry, I, I have a Microsoft. That's keyboard. the
0: first logical explanation I've heard about that. Yeah, I've that's, thought about that.
1: I guess I thought about that now, but that's that's unfortunate because it that sounds extremely plausible and reasonable even though it would suck for people like us.
0: Somebody on Twitter said it's that they're a, a Vim user and they can't be, they are can't believe Apple would do that, you know, escape key is too important to Vim users and it's like
1: yep. <laughs> I'm a Vim user when I'm on server stuff and it also it's also autocomplete in TextMate like yeah. oh man.
0: Well, it's autocomplete system wide, isn't it?
1: it oh, is like, it? I don't know. F5 is too. I've or... only ever tried it in TextMate. But yeah, it... But I I think now that I think about the power button being above backspace instead, I think that's very plausible.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I never thought of that. Oh, we're screwed. Uh, Well, let's keep the show short. Let's wrap it up.
1: (laughs) You're always very good at keeping the show short. I
0: am. I am very good at the, (laughs) in the last 30 seconds of keeping the show short. Uh, Marco Arment, thank you. Thank you for the time. And, um, uh, a lot of good conversation tonight. People can find out more at, uh, your suddenly very popular website marco.org. that's and, right. And uh, your Twitter is at Marco Arment.
1: My goal is to lose as many people as possible for my audience by blogging about really boring developer stuff for a while. Yeah.
0: And of course, we got to mention ATP. Anybody, I can't. I there's got to be so much overlap. But if there's a, if you're out there and you like it when Marco's on the talk show, you got to listen to ATP. It's it's my favorite podcast, and I say that, um, completely honestly. So. Thank you um uh, atp is at atp.fm six characters for including the dot so that's yeah, pretty yeah fm
1: f- is pretty wide open cuz it costs like 70 bucks a year to register so it's pretty easy to still get pretty good stuff there
0: yeah and it works you know works with the podcast angle yeah exactly um uh, so check those three things out and uh uh wait for marco to burn the internet down next week <laughs> all right thank you thank you thank you It was so great. I love it now that I've just given up on keeping shows a reasonable length. Oh, yeah. Screw it.